Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Let's do this. Another day, another dollar, another edition of The Drive. You're listening to The Drive on 610 Sports Radio, 610sports.com, and the Odyssey app. My name is Carrington Harrison. Excited to be here with you over these next couple of days as we get you ready for the AFC Championship game between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Baltimore Ravens. Let me give you an itinerary of what we have planned today. We're going to take our first trip to Baltimore coming up in about 15 minutes. We'll be joined by Tim Barbalace of 105.3 The Fan in Baltimore at 3 o'clock. We'll be joined by former ESPN personality Trey Wingo will be on the show coming up in uh, an hour or so as well. We got a lot planned over the course of today. Danny Parkins will be on the show in the 4 o'clock hour tomorrow. We have a very busy show planned. Christopher Mad Dog Russo will be on the show. Nick Wright will be on the show tomorrow. And Nate Taylor will be in studio. We have you covered for the AFC Championship game. We'll get into that game coming up in just a bit. We'll give you a couple of chances to win a pizza today. Let's give you a first. Pizza time on the drive. Carrington, dial me up right now. Caller number six wins a pizza from our friends over at Pizzatasio. 913-586-7610. Pizzatasio is Kansas City's best New York style pizza, and they've taken over the town. They got a new location in Waldo, plus they got locations in OP. That's my home, Pizzatasio. Lee Summit, Midtown, North KC, St. Joe, and Lawrence. So whether the move for me, a slice or two, or maybe you're hungry enough for a full pie, be sure to visit them now at Pizzatasio. That's pizza, T-A-S-C-I-O.com. I would like for you guys to do me a couple of favors. Number one, I need you listening to the drive each day at 2 o'clock. I also need you to tell one friend. You don't got to tell two friends. But if you can tell one friend that if you want some of the best pizza in Kansas City from our friends at Pizza Tasio and you want to get ready for the AFC Championship game between the Chiefs and the Ravens, there's only one place to do that, and it's here at 610 Sports Radio and the Drive on 610 Sports Radio and also the Odyssey app. This is where I would like to start today's show and start with these two quarterbacks. We have two great quarterbacks. We have Patrick Mahomes. We have Lamar Jackson. We have four MVP trophies between the two. We asked Patrick Mahomes about Lamar Jackson earlier in the week. Here's what he said. I think everyone in the NFL does. I mean, it's not just the running, but, I mean, just to be able to throw the different arm slots, um, to be accurate, throw it downfield. I mean, he can do it it all, I and mean, that's why he's gonna be, hope. I mean, I'm not hopefully, but gonna be winning his second MVP probably. And um, I think uh, that just speaks to the type of player he is. He continues to get better and better. Um, that's what we're all trying to do in this league. 
Um, and uh, it'll be a great challenge for us, and we're excited uh, to go out there to their place and see, see what we can do. Let's start with Lamar Jackson, and we'll transition to Patrick Mahomes. We talked about this a couple of days ago, that Patrick Mahomes is one of the rare young quarterbacks that never really had to go through the grind. His first season, they went to the AFC Championship game and lost a heartbreaker in overtime. The second year, they win the Super Bowl. It didn't really feel like there were many roadblocks in the way that this organization has been great since Mahomes has taken over and they have been even greater since then turning into one of the great dynasties in the history of the National Football League. If Patrick Mahomes takes this team to the Super Bowl and potentially wins the Super Bowl this year, he elevates to a completely different place. But if you are Lamar... You have been told, I would say, since you've gotten into the NFL, that you can't win the Super Bowl with your style. You're not durable enough. You need to be a better passer. All it really takes is one game. If you are Lamar Jackson, you are one game away from people forever changing the narrative and conversation about you. If you're Joe Burrow, you beat Patrick Mahomes the one time. Anytime that you go into a game like the AFC championship game, people are going to believe you got a shot because they've actually seen you do it before. None of us question whether or not you can go to the Super Bowl with Joe Burrow as your starting quarterback. You obviously can. I saw him go on the road multiple times, win an arrowhead, take his team to a Super Bowl and have a really good chance of winning that game. If you're Lamar, you are one game away from that. Your unorthodox style, unconventional, the way that you run the football. If you beat Patrick Mahomes in this game, people will always think and believe that you can win these games and go to the Super Bowl. That's powerful. People don't feel that way about Josh Allen. Josh Allen is getting comparisons to Phillip Rivers. You don't believe me? Mitch Holtz has just said it on this show a couple of days ago. I'm Wes Montooth holding the ladder of Josh Allen, anchorman, in the bear cave. Like, I respect him. I've got mad props for that guy. His background, what he's overcome, what he's done, his amazing talent. But that game yesterday, and you can the reaction nationally to him has been, is he Phillip Rivers now? Because that's the comparison he's getting, where before he was getting compared to Patrick Mahomes. So he's at a tipping point right now in his career. So are the Buffalo Bills. They have got they got cap issues. The 24 bills are going to look different than the 23 bills. They're trying to figure out where they go from here. But I, I've got mad props for Josh Allen. But he has to be sitting there thinking, where do I go from here? I don't believe that you guys, as part of the Chiefs kingdom, really fully respect another team or quarterback until you get to this point. And I don't say that as shade towards anybody, but you needed to see Burrow do it and stand toe-to-toe and go to Arrowhead and win that game. And when you do it, you get treated a little bit differently. The reason we talk about Josh Allen this way is he has had three chances to stand toe-to-toe against Patrick Mahomes, and for different reasons in each of those three games, you came up short. Either the 13 seconds a couple of days ago, you have had opportunities to beat Patrick Mahomes. He has just always been one step ahead of you. This is now the most recent. This is just the latest challenge in what is going to be another 
10, 12 years potentially of challenges in the AFC. If you're Lamar Jackson and you win this game, you never have to answer this question again about Patrick Mahomes. You never have to answer whether or not you can go to the Super Bowl or how you measure up against Patrick Mahomes. You will have done it before, and there is great power in that. Rob, if you are Patrick Mahomes, going to this Super Bowl elevates you to a place that's even higher than where you already are. Everybody considers you to be the best quarterback in the National Football League. You have the respect of everybody. The way that current NFL players talk about Mahomes is different. The way that other NFL players refer to Patrick Mahomes is different. If you take this offense to the Super Bowl, and in back-to-back years after trading Tyreek Hill, who might be the offensive player of the year, if you take this offense to the Super Bowl, Man, maybe they do have Tom Brady on their team. We have seen Tom Brady go to the Super Bowl 10 separate times. Only once has he had an offense that was outside of the top 10. Every year, and I know we talk about those Patriots defenses, and we should talk about the Patriots defenses. They finished top six every year that they went to the Super Bowl in New England. Their offense was usually really, really good whether it was with Randy Moss and Wes Welker or Aaron Hernandez and Rob Gronkowski or Corey Dillon, or they usually stayed with a pretty high-powered and potent offense for the most part. And when you combine that with the defenses, you get the dynasty that we got with the New England Patriots. That is not what this year's Kansas City Chiefs team was offensively, not at all. And if you were telling me that you take a 34-year-old Travis Kelsey Rasheed Rice, a seventh-round running back in Isaiah Pacheco, and this team goes to the Super Bowl with that offense, man, they really honestly might have Tom Brady on their team. Like, I'm willing to concede, all right, man, hey, I already think that Pat is different. We might have to really start talking about Pat differently if you can guide this team to the Super Bowl. I don't think that Pat can hurt himself by losing this game. I do think that people sort of acknowledge that this was a quote-unquote down year for the Kansas City Chiefs, and even in a down year for Kansas City, they have found themselves in six consecutive AFC championship games. But this isn't your typical Kansas City offense. Last year, they were number one in points scored. This year, they were 15th. They were average offensively this year. And I don't think many people put that on your quarterback or feel like he has regressed or the league has figured him out. I think you know that this offense needs to retool in a way for next season. If you're the rest of the AFC, you can't let this version of the Chiefs offense get to the Super Bowl because next year when they go get Mike Evans or they go get Michael Pittman Jr. or they go get T. Higgins and they draft another wide receiver and you give Mahomes his normal weapons, if you couldn't catch him this year, when is there the expectation that you were going to be able to catch the quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs? There is somewhat of a legacy and sort of the, there is already an aura, a glow about Patrick Mahomes around the NFL. If he takes this team to the Super Bowl, that glow is only going to get brighter. Coming up on the other side, we're going to head to Baltimore and be joined by Tim Barbalace of 105.3 The Fan in Baltimore. That's coming up as we take our first look to the AFC Championship game on Sunday between the Chiefs and the Ravens. That's coming up. Keep it right here. It's The Drive. The Drive with Carrington Harrison. Brought to you by Deep Esquale Moore. Car wreck? Get the money you deserve. Mike's got this on 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. Hey, Chiefs fans, it's Patrick Mahomes. 
Catch me every Monday with CDOT during the season on your official broadcast partner of the Kansas City Chiefs, 610 Sports Radio. Welcome back into The Drive on 610 Sports Radio, 610sports.com and the Odyssey app. Let's take our first trip to Baltimore, Maryland over these next couple of days. And let's be joined by the Ravens insider for 105.3 The Fan in Baltimore. Tim Barbalace joins us on the show. Tim, always appreciate your time. This is the first time that the Ravens have hosted the AFC Championship game since 1971. And I got to imagine that the city is going crazy. It's funny, man. On the show yesterday, we did a segment just like, is the, this is the biggest Baltimore sporting event since when? I mean, 2014 ALCS, uh, Orioles hosted the Kansas City Royals, of course. But prior to that, I mean, I think it might be either the first game, Ravens coming back, uh, 1996 Memorial Stadium, and maybe you could even say 2131 with Cal Ripken. I mean, this is a massive, massive event for the city. The buzz is just out of this world. The resale value for the tickets are crazy. Ravens just announced all the events that are taking place at the stadium tomorrow. Ray Lewis, Ed Reed, Michael Phelps, Jonathan Ogden. Hell, even T. Payne's going to be there with T. Swift in the house. The one thing that I've noticed from just looking at it is you guys are pulling out all the stops. You got Ed Reed going to be there. You got Jonathan Ogden, Ray Lewis, T-Pain, you just mentioned, is doing the halftime. You guys ain't playing no games with this AFC championship game. <laughs> no, they're not. I mean, that just tells you, man. I mean, the, the Ravens, you mentioned it in the open. I mean, this has been a heck of a franchise going back to 1996. I mean, this is their fifth AFC championship, first one at home. They've won Super Bowls, but but this is different. And I expect the environment to be insane at M&T on Sunday. I mean, last weekend against uh, the Texans, the, the crowd completely overwhelmed that team. And, look, I'm not expecting five false starts and a delay game out of the Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes, the Chiefs, they've been there, done that, six straight AFC championships. But that being said, I think the crowd will still be a factor. Right now, we're talking to Tim Barbalace of 105.3 The Fan in Baltimore going through the storylines for the AFC Championship game between the Chiefs and the Ravens. Tim, let's start with this. How did the Ravens get here? This has been one of the better teams in the National Football League. It really feels like they have taken that next step as a team. How have we gotten here with Baltimore? I mean, to be honest, Carrington, it, it's just been a heck of a ride. I mean, this has been one of the most balanced teams probably in franchise history. You look at all of the key statistics, third down, offensively and defensively, points per game, red zone. They rank top ten in both categories, offensively and defensively, in all of those. And and. They aren't just winning Carrington. They're steamrolling teams. I mean, they, they set the NFL record for most wins in the regular season against teams with winning records, and the majority of them, they won by multiple touchdowns. I mean, you go back to the Dolphins game. They dropped a 50-piece on them. The 49ers game on Christmas, I mean, they won that by 14, and it wasn't even that close. And the Texans, look, it was an uneasy first half in the uh, divisional playoff game, but they absolutely dominated the second half of that one, shutting them out 24 to nothing. This has just been a different team. It's been a different Lamar Jackson. The contract controversy that's way in the rearview mirror. Lamar is dialed in to a point that we haven't seen before. And it's not just me saying that. 
Marlon Humphrey's saying that. He's taking on more of a leadership role. We had Kevin Zeitler on the show the other day. He echoed those sentiments. I mean, we're seeing a really dialed-in team and a really dialed-in Lamar Jackson. From a football perspective, what have you noticed difference with Lamar? Because I'm looking at the weapons, and enough has been made around the wide receivers around Lamar over the last couple of years. You go out and you spend the money to get Odell Beckham. You bring in Zay Flowers, who had a phenomenal rookie year. What are you knowing difference about Lamar, the quarterback, than you've seen in years past? Well, you mentioned the weapons, and you have to mention it because you go back to his last MVP season. I mean, he's got a rookie Marquise Brown, Miles Boykin, Seth Roberts, Willie Sneed. I mean, it's night and day comparison in weapons, and it's a new offensive coordinator where Todd Munkin, he's been implementing more horizontal passing games, and Lamar's really leaned into it. I mean, the, the two areas that Lamar has struggled as a passer – throughout his career is throws outside the numbers and deep ball accuracy. And it took this team a little bit to take shots during the season. Probably the first half of the year didn't have that much success, but they've been pushing the ball downfield with regularity, not so much against the Texans, but prior to that with regularity. The accuracy's been there. I mean, Lamar's got a career-high completion percentage for him, a career-high in passing yards. He's just such a refined player right now, and and he can just beat you in a variety of ways. And, I mean, you saw him rush for 100 yards against the Texans. I mean, the guy just makes remarkable plays week in and week out. We hear a lot of people say that the key to beat the Ravens is to make Lamar a passer and to keep him in the pocket and not let him run. How realistic of a strategy is that that you've seen against Lamar over the past few four seasons? I just don't know if that's necessarily a fair statement anymore. I mean, we've seen Lamar take over games with his arm, and and it's so much easier said than done trying to keep that guy inside the pocket because he just makes something out of nothing. And you go back to that Jacksonville game. It was on Sunday Night Football a, a few weeks back, and Lamar's running all around. He ends up throwing up a pass. A defensive lineman knocks him down. Isaiah likely comes up with the pass. And the defensive lineman's like, what the hell? Like, how? Like, we did everything perfect on this play, and you still give up a chunk play. And, and that's what's so difficult. I mean, offensively, look, uh, the running backs, they've been banged up. J.K. Dobbins, done for the year. Keaton Mitchell, done for the year. I think if you stop the running backs and you slow them down and have to put more on Lamar Jackson's plate, I think that might be a good course of action. Right now we're talking to Tim Barbalace of 105.3 The Fan in Baltimore taking a closer look at the Ravens ahead of the AFC Championship game. We had Mitch Holtz's voice of the Kansas City Chiefs join us earlier in the week, and I asked him what he saw with the Ravens. And he said, I see a team that doesn't have any weaknesses. You have seen every snap of every Ravens game this year. Do you see that same thing? And if they do have a weakness, what is that? Well, they definitely have a weakness. And on the defensive side of the football, first defense in NFL history, lead the league in takeaways, sacks, points per game. But – you can run the football on them. And, and the reason why those numbers aren't so glaring, they're 14th in rushing yards allowed per game, but they're bottom eight in yards per carry allowed. They give up four and a half yards per carry. The issue is the Ravens just boat race teams where they take the running game out 
of the opposition's hands. So Sunday, could I see Isaiah Pacheco get off a little bit? Sure, absolutely. Could I see Patrick Mahomes pick up some rushing yards like he typically does in postseason games? Absolutely. That is the biggest key to the game for me, for the Ravens, is slowing down the Chiefs' rushing attack. Because if they have play action at their disposal, if they aren't one-dimensional, that's going to be a hard offense to beat. It's funny because it sounds like the worry for both teams is the exact same. When you think about Lamar and how versatile he is, whether it's the RPO, either he's keeping it, he's giving it to Justice Hill, or you're using that play action to set things up for Isaiah Likely and Mark Andrews. And I want to get your take on how big of a key you think Mark Andrews is in this game. It's funny because both teams seem to have the same worry about if we can contain the run game of the opposition, then this is the game that we should win. It is fun. We were breaking down both defenses yesterday, and you you look at the Chiefs and you look at the Ravens, and so much of it mirrors each other. I mean, they're fantastic against the pass. They can get after the passer first and second in the league in sacks. But then the rushing attack, it, it's so weird where, uh, you know, both of them are susceptible. I think the Chiefs are 25th in yards per carry allowed. Ravens are 26th in yards per carry allowed. But both teams don't allow many rushing touchdowns. Ravens allowed the least rushing touchdowns in football. Chiefs allowed the fourth least rushing uh, touchdowns in football. So it, it is pretty fascinating how these two defenses mirror each other in a lot of w- different ways. If you had to say what the strength of Baltimore's defense is, what is it? I mean, it's strong at each level, man. I mean, the the thing is, they led the NFL in sacks. Justin Matabike is their guy. But outside of that, it's just everyone's been pitching in. Kyle Van Noy, he was on the streets till week three. He got a career high in sacks. Jadavion Clowney tied his career high in sacks. Roquan Smith and Patrick Queen are the best inside linebacker duo in football. Kyle Hamilton has developed into an absolute stud. I would expect him to match up uh, opposite Travis Kelsey a lot in this football game. Ravens defense does a lot of things really, really well. And and they've and Mike McDonald, I mean, their defensive coordinator, where it seemed like he was going to be a shoe-in head coach somewhere, but now uh, those vacancies are starting to dry up. McDonald, in terms of game plan, has been great. Ravens have faced a ton of Shanahan, McVay disciples. You know that they've been talking to each other, and he's cracked the code on all of them, and now it's a completely different challenge with Andy Reid and the Chiefs. Two final questions here for Tim Barbalace of 105.3 The Fan in Baltimore. First question is, I don't hear Baltimore get really talked about in terms of home field advantage. Kansas City is a place that gets talked about. Seattle, Lambeau Field. Last week, what that crowd did to Houston with forcing six offensive penalties was really, really impressive. How big of a factor do you think that home crowd is going to be in this matchup? I think it's going to be massive. I I, I really do. I think the crowd is going to be extremely jacked up. Mentioned earlier, you know, Ray Lewis and Ed Reed, they're going to be coming out of the tunnel. They're the legends of the game. Uh, The offense is going to be introduced. Lamar Jackson is going to come out last. Hell, Mark Andrews walking out of the tunnel is going to get the crowd absolutely jacked up. It's a hell of a home field advantage. And the Ravens, you know, 2021, 2022, I want to say, they they had a, a little bit of a home skid. I think they lost four or five uh, home games straight. But you look at the Ravens' home record since 2000, 
think it's the third best record in all football. And, you know, Baltimore, the blue-collar town, I'm sure you saw the Pat McAfee quote about about it being, you know, the most underrated uh, home field advantage in football. And I definitely believe that, man. It, it's it's going to be wild at M&T on Sunday. We always ask people this. Give me your Chiefs win-if scenario. Give me your Ravens win-if scenario. I mean, it's it's kind of similar. Look, if the Chiefs can run the football, they're, they have a very good shot at winning this game. I, I firmly believe that. And turnovers are always a great equalizer. So if, if uh, uh, you turn the ball over, obviously that gives the Chiefs the advantage. But conversely, I'll be honest, Carrington, if, if, if the Ravens can slow down Pacheco and they make the Chiefs one-dimensional – I get it's Patrick Mahomes, and that guy is a wizard. He's a freakazoid. If they make the Chiefs one-dimensional, I don't see how the Ravens lose this football game. I, I really, I, I just think their secondary compared to the pass catchers that Kansas City has, I think is a big-time And if they're able to make them one-dimensional, I think the Ravens' defense has a big advantage there. And Lamar Jackson in this offense, I, I expect them to be humming in this football game. You know, they were rusty in that first half uh, against the Texans. They hadn't played for weeks. I don't expect that rustiness to happen this week. So uh, those are the big keys. I mean, I go back to the rushing attack for both teams. That is Tim Barbalace joining us on the show today, live from Baltimore, Maryland, and take a closer look at the Ravens as they are the home team for the AFC championship game. Tim, someone had to break Kansas City's streak of hosting this thing, so it might as well have been the Ravens, man. I am looking forward to a very exciting game this Sunday, man. I appreciate your time today. Absolutely, man. I'm looking forward to it, too. That's my guy, Tim Barbalace, the Ravens insider for 105.3 The Fan in Baltimore. One of our texts that we got during the interview was, see, all I know is if the Chiefs eliminate the middle of the field, take away Mark Andrews likely and Lamar from running up the middle of the field, the off, the Ravens offense won't be able to do anything. I'm picking the Chiefs 23-13 to 13 in this game. Well, sure, if you take away the strength of the Baltimore Ravens, it's going to be a very, very difficult day for them. I wanted to look this stat up because... I think if you ask any football fan, hey, how do you beat the Baltimore Ravens? Well, you have to force Lamar Jackson into being a passer. If you can take away the run and make them mostly one-dimensional and force them to throw the football, then the Ravens are incredibly vulnerable. This season, they were number one in rush attempts. They were 30th in the NFL in pass attempts. I think we all know what the formula is for the Baltimore Ravens and how they are so successful and why they are so successful. They have a clear identity, and they stick to it. And if they don't stick to it, then you can get the Baltimore Ravens. Well, Rob, in Lamar Jackson's career, in games in which he has 30 or less pass attempts, the Ravens are 43-10. and 10. In games in which Lamar has 31 or more pass attempts, the Ravens are 17-12. and 12. I mean, the formula to beat Lamar and the Ravens is very, very simple. Now, it is very difficult for you to actually go out there and do. Like, all of us can tell you how to stop the Baltimore Ravens. There really weren't that many teams this year that stopped them. They were number one in total offense, and they ran the ball more effectively than any team in the National Football League. I'm sure a lot of defensive coordinators have had the same strategy going into it. 
it's really, really tough to execute because he is one of the more elusive players that we have seen. But it is very, very obvious. You have to figure out a way to turn Baltimore into a high-volume passing offense. And if that's what they are, and they get away from what makes them the Ravens, where it is ground and pound, they are getting in short yardage scenarios, it's not third and eight, it's not third and nine, they're in third and two, third and three, and the entire playbook is open for them, it is just going to be a very, very long evening for you because Baltimore is playing their game flow. What really changed for the defense in the second half against the Bills was they took away those first and second down runs, and instead of it being third and two, third and three, where you get those short yardage runs from Josh Allen that make him incredibly difficult to stop, you were putting the Bills in the second half in third and long and obvious passing downs, and that's where you thought the Bills got a little bit uncomfortable. You saw the accuracy start to dip with Josh Allen, and he only completed 50% of his passes in the fourth quarter of that game. But how to beat the Ravens is very, very obvious to me. You have to make Lamar Jackson throw the ball 35, 40 times because that is not the kind of offense that they want to be. That's not the kind of offense that they run, and they are not very successful when the game turns into that. I mean, in that the epitome of easier said than done like that, that is on paper versus on football like I've never heard because I would say what the Ravens played this year, 18 games in I guess 17, the week 18 game against the Steelers didn't count. They didn't really play their players. In the 17 games, real games, Lamar Jackson and co. have gone into the game. I would imagine every single team had those stats and had that game plan. The Lions, they're in the NFC title game. They played in Baltimore this year. I'd imagine Dan Campbell's group thought to themselves, if we make Lamar a passer, watch out. The Ravens won that game. The San Francisco 49ers, at one point, people thought they were the best defense, the best team in the NFL. That game was on Monday Night Football, Christmas Day for us all to see in the Bay Area. I promise Steve Wilkes' defense, Kyle Shanahan, Fred Warner, that group of elite talent thought to themselves, make number eight pass, and we got them right where we want them. The Ravens went out there and smoked the Niners. I would say every team the Ravens have faced have had that game plan and the Ravens have overcome it all but the once off the top of my mind. The Steelers game in Pittsburgh, the Steelers did stop that, but rivalry game, all this, that, and the other. So you're right. On paper, it's very simple. Make Lamar pass 30 times. Force him to be who Patrick Mahomes was at Texas Tech, the air raid offense. That guy can't beat you that way. But every team has had that formula, and every team has failed to execute that formula, which makes me think the Ravens are good enough to overcome defensive game playing designed to make him throw. This is the first game in which I feel that both teams are going into it with the exact same formula. Like someone on the text line says, what does that guy mean when he talks about making the Chiefs one-dimensional? I think it's very obvious when it comes to Kansas City. I don't know if Patrick Mahomes has all the weapons at his disposal. If in a same way that we are talking about Lamar, if Patrick Mahomes throws the ball 47 times in this game, I don't know if this is a game that Kansas City wins. I do think that they're going to have to be incredibly balanced in this game. I do think they're going to have to run the ball very, very effectively in this game. If this is a game that you are frustrated with the usage with Isaiah Pacheco or feel like they abandoned the run, or if on Monday we are talking about Isaiah Pacheco got 12 carries for 37 yards and it was all on Patrick Mahomes to go win the game, 
that's when I think you open yourself up to mistakes. That's when I think you open yourself up to possibly getting a turnover and allowing that defense to really get after it. The Chiefs have been really successful most recently in the postseason, but for the most part, they've done a really good job of kind of limiting those opportunities. I mean, against Buffalo, he only had 23 pass attempts. Last year against Philadelphia in the Super Bowl, he had 27 attempts. I mean, the best version, I think, of Mahomes is usually the one that plays within the game script. And then on a third down, you allow him to make a big play. You allow him to improvise and he is the greatest X factor that you could possibly have. But I actually agree with that, Ravens, if if this is a game in which Isaiah Pacheco doesn't play well and it is solely on the Chiefs passing game to go win this, I don't know if that's a game flow that they win. We know that about Baltimore. If we're talking about a game in which Lamar Jackson has six carries for 22 yards, that is not a game that I think the Ravens win. If you shut down Justice Hill, if Isaiah Likely is not a major part, I think we know how these, like, As much as I've been talking about the formula for Kansas City, more Rice, more Pacheco, more Kelsey, establish the run, control the line of scrimmage, control the ball, and play good defense. I don't know if that's really that different than what Baltimore's formula is as a team. We run the ball effectively with Lamar. We're going to have a couple of design runs. There's going to be one to two runs that are completely off script that Lamar's just going to beat you because he's just faster than most of the guys on your team. They want to work the middle of the field, get their tight ends, get the ball quick to Zay Flowers, to Odell Beckham, allow those guys to make yards after the catch. I don't know if the formula for these two teams are much different in how they want to approach this game and how they can win this game. I actually think in a weird way because – the Chiefs have faced the Ravens, what, three times in the Patrick Mahomes era? Four times? Three when Lamar was Lamar. That first matchup, I don't think Lamar had become Lamar yet. He took over for Joe Flacco. In all three of those matchups, I felt like the Ravens' formula is the same as it is on Sunday. But the Chiefs' formula was, let Mahomes go be special. Because Mahomes in the first matchup, I mean, he had the deep pass to McCole Harmon. It's the home opener. Mahomes was really good in that game. Aired it out, made all sorts of plays. During the COVID year, when they played in front of no fans in Baltimore, Patrick Mahomes was a wizard. That was when they introduced the little fullback underhand shovel to then Anthony Sherman. Mahomes was sensational. Same thing, even though they lost, Mahomes was good, airing the ball out. It was a 30-plus point game in the Monday night loss to the Baltimore Ravens. I don't think that's the Chiefs' formula anymore. I think the Chiefs are going to play the same style of football the Ravens are. What you're being saying about the Bills game and Ravens game is Basically, mirror images to me. Control the line of scrimmage, play good defense, don't turn it over, force turnovers. I don't think this is a game where the Chiefs are racing to 30 and seeing if Baltimore can keep up. I think the Chiefs are racing to 23 and hoping they can get there before the Ravens. Both teams, I think, have the same game plan going into Sunday, which is weird because I think Mahomes is so much better with his arm than Lamar is. Yeah, I'd be surprised if this game was played into the 30s as well. I like the under in this game as well. This feels like a 23-17 win for whichever team you think is winning this game. I think whichever team is going to win this game, it's going to be because their formula, they were able to execute that formula a little bit differently. Whether it's the Kansas City corners really locking up on the outside and the Chiefs do a really good job in containing Lamar or doing a really good job on the tight ends, or it's Baltimore's defense that forced 31 turnovers this year. They force a couple of turnovers, very disruptive. Their defensive line creates a lot of problems, and they just control the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. I really do think that the formula for both of these teams to win are very very, very similar heading into this matchup coming up on the other side. So our dear friend, Steven Spector, the boss man, his favorite show is the wire, the wire based out of Baltimore. 
He asked if he could come on the show and give us his HBO starting five shows and we can debate it. So I said, sure. That's coming up. Keep it right here, Sir Drive. The Drive with Carrington Harrison. Brought to you by Deep Esquale Moore. Car, truck, or motorcycle wreck? Remember, Mike's got this. On 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. You know it's a big time week when Steven Spector joins us for consecutive days. Now, Speck, I don't believe that you will be on the show tomorrow. I don't know if you're a big enough guest to be on the show tomorrow. You know, we got twice is probably enough for the entire year. We got Nick Wright going to join us tomorrow. Christopher Mad Dog Russo's on the show. Nate Taylor for an hour. I just don't know if you're a big enough book. I agree to be on the show tomorrow. I won't even hate on that. But today you're a great book. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we'll be joined by Trey Wingo, formerly of ESPN. He is now with the 33rd team. He'll be on the show coming up in just a bit. So you and I both love The Wire. How many times have you seen The Wire from start to finish? Six or seven. Yeah, I think I'm at three or four. But sometimes I will just randomly over a weekend. Hey, it's been a while since I've seen season one, and I'll just watch season one. See, again. I don't do that. I, it's got to be consecutive for me. So I would say every other year I rotate Sopranos and Wire. It's actually been a while since I rewatched Sopranos from start to finish. I'm, I think I'm, that's my next. I'm doing it right now, so I'm through season three in okay. my in my probably 14th rewatch of the Sopranos. So I wanted to have you on the show today because as someone that loves the wire, I wanted to get your HBO starting five. So these are your favorite, not the, what you think that everybody else is favorite. You don't got to put sex in the city on your, this is okay. This is Spectre's five favorite HBO shows okay. in celebration of the wire. I imagine the wire is going to make it. So I now want to know your other four Hit some music, Rob. After doing this exercise, it came to me that HBO is unparalleled with streaming options. Not even close. Like Netflix doesn't come close. Prime doesn't come close. Hulu doesn't come close. HBO is in its own tier. It is the Patrick Mahomes of television creation. Number one, I have The Sopranos. I think it's, and and I have Wire number two. I think we have to put those in the same category. If you said The Wire was number one and Sopranos was number two, I would not argue with you, but I think The Sopranos is a better show for two reasons. One, I don't think it's a hot take to say that Tony Soprano is the most iconic television figure in history. Nobody, no actor is associated with a name or character in the history of television like James Gandolfini with Tony Soprano. I would also argue that The Wire season five is not a good season of television, and therefore The Wire gets dropped down to number two. Who's your favorite character on Sopranos that's not Tony? Probably Junior. I love Paulie. Paulie Paul, is Paulie's so great. Funny Chris is me. great. Junior, if you've watched the show enough, has some incredible lines that you just have to watch enough and you're... That's really funny. Are we not going to dig the Sopranos for its terrible finale? The last, the last scene stunk. I don't think the last scene. I, I, dis- I disagree yeah, with I you. Think I it's think bad. now I've read way more than I should in fan theories about it, so maybe I appreciate it more. That's what happened to me. So I, I disagree with you that the final, the final scene, final episode was not very good. Have I ever told you what happened with me with the last episode? So I think it was a while ago. You and Danny had both told me, "Hey, it fades to black," and I was like, "Oh, okay, all right, all right." So I'm watching the last episode. You know, I, I know it's coming to an end, and I'm excited. They're playing Don't Stop Believing. They're at the, the diner. All of a sudden, it just cuts to black. 
This is when I was still renting the DVD box set from Blockbuster. I thought the I thought the DVD was scratched. <laughs> so I went back and I was like, hold on, what did I miss? I, I re- And I was like, you're telling me I watched this entire show and that's how it ends? It was incredible. And then you instantly go on the internet and you start reading all the theories like, oh, oh I get what they I, were. I get it. You know those moments in history you never forget where you were? It was 2007. I was sitting around with my buddies at Syracuse, and we were all watching the finale. We'd all watched the show, and we just erupted. Like, we thought the cable went out. We could not figure out what was going on. Um, But the more you read about it, the more I actually kind of like the ending of of Sopranos. Number three. This is where I think it got really interesting for me in a a good case study. Just so you have in perspective, I think there are 14 shows in consideration for my five. Number three, I put Hard Knocks. I know it's gotten a little, you know, NFL Shield-ish, right? Like they're protecting the the, the game and the, the teams. Those first five seasons were incredible, though. But it's been on since 2001. I still enjoy the behind-the-scenes episode. You know, Dwayne Bowe getting taped to the goalpost and Rex Ryan, let's go eat a snack. I still watch all of the Hard Knocks seasons, and I am excited for Tuesday night at 9 o'clock for Hard Knocks. So I put that at number three. Okay. This is why I wouldn't have Hard Knocks. I feel like that show has just been done better by other people now. Like, it certainly laid the groundwork. I would live with them just continuing Last Chance U than continuing to do Hard Knocks. Yeah, but I think Last Chance U ran out of steam after season two in Mississippi. Like... The I Cal- loved when they went to Independence, Kansas. That was okay. The, the California one was okay, and I just don't think the basketball one hits the same. So no, it's not. It's, I, no, I think it's the not first the two seasons of Last Chance You were great, but I don't think you can replicate the NFL and HBO. I know Amazon Prime's tried it. For its longevity, For I still enjoy it Tuesday nights at 9 for those four or five weeks in, in August and September. Number four, I have Game of Thrones. I just I started it late. I was not a sci- sci-fi person. You cannot argue with the size and the scale of Game of Thrones. You remember in 2019, it was international during that final season. No matter what you think of the final season, it wasn't as good, yada, yada, yada. You couldn't get away you from it. You could not get away from the final season of Game of Thrones. It was, people were doing immediate podcasts afterwards, eight-year run, probably the biggest international show in the history of television. I, I got no issues with Game of Thrones. I got Game of Thrones at four. Also has a very popular spinoff. Are you a House of Dragons person? I haven't started. I'll probably start it this spring before season two, two comes on. Number five was the hardest for me because I think there's four in the running. I ended up going with... Hold on. Hold okay. on. Can we hear the honorable mentions then? You want to hear the honorable let's mentions? Let's hear the honorable mentions before okay. we hear what you actually pick. I put Succession, Curb, and Sex in the City is my honorable mention. Okay. Do you want to guess what my number five show is? I'm think, astonished those didn't make it. Like, I think you picked True Detective. So I didn't. I put Entourage. Okay. Entourage started in 2004. This was the heart of college. We all wanted to be Vinny Chase. We laughed at drama. We laughed at Turtle. I know, I, like, looking back now, it's some of the jokes you made. It's a little cringy. Um but it, you have to respect Entourage from 2004 to 2011. That was a really good show that came along at a time in my life, 18 years old. Entourage comes in at number five. But Succession, Curb, and Sex in the City were on the outside looking in. Now, you mentioned have, True Detective. Really quickly, yeah. Entourage is the only show in here that I have not seen. I have not seen okay. 
an episode of Entourage. I think it was just, I, I don't know, maybe I was too, I, I don't know. I've never seen an episode of it, which is really crazy because I actually liked Ballers, the show, but I, I've never seen Entourage. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the same thing with actors instead of athletes. Ballers um, is bad, though. Ballers, ballers. Is, ballers is a bad show. <laughs> ballers is not good. The first five seasons of Entourage were really good. The It, it kind of got away from them the, probably the last two seasons. To answer your True Detective question, True Detective season one is the greatest single season of television in history. But seasons two and three stink. Like, season two, we were all so excited after coming off season one. I like season three. With Mara, she- yeah. I can never pronounce his first name. I like season three. Season Mahershala. two never happened. Mahershala. Yeah, season two never happened. I like season, season three. Season two is season two was really bad. Season three was not great. Now season four is off to a really good start. The first two episodes, but I can't put it in there just because season one was so great. I actually got offered a screener for this season of True Detective. Do you want it early or do you want to no. watch it? Okay, no, I watch it in real time. Monday nights. Okay, I'm just asking. We got to get through the winter somehow. There's got to be something okay. I'm looking forward to on I Monday just, nights. I was wondering. Someone said, "Why did Oz not make your list?" I tried to watch Oz in the middle of season two. I started having graphic prison dreams. Could never do it. Yeah, I was out for that reason. I never started Oz. So the other it's ones, good, but no, I, I couldn't do it. Other ones on the list quickly: Band of Brothers, Barry, Girls. How to Make It in America, Hung, and Ballers. Those are the other ones that were in consideration. Steven Spector joined us in studio to celebrate the Chiefs being in Baltimore and his love of The Wire. He gave us his top five shows on HBO. We got Sopranos, The Wire, Hard Knocks, Game of Thrones, and Entourage. That is Spector's starting five. Starting five Wire characters tomorrow? See you at 245. You know what? That's going to be a good June topic. Okay. A good, All a, right. good, a good June topic. We'll get back to it. Coming up at the top of the hour, we'll be joined by Trey Wingo to get you ready for the AFC Championship game. That's coming up. Keep it right here. It's the drive. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
Welcome back to The Drive on 610 Sports Radio, 610sports.com, and the Odyssey app. Let's head to the phone lines right now to be joined by former ESPN personality, Trey Wingo. We always enjoy being joined by him to get his commentary ahead of the AFC Championship game between the Chiefs and the Ravens. Trey, appreciate your time as always. You have covered this sport for a long time. How impressive is it that we are in another AFC Championship game with the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes? I do think it's important for people to understand what's happening here. Like this is unprecedented. Like when I was doing NFL live, we used to make this stat up every year that, you know, Tom Brady, I think appeared in a championship game, whether the one with the Bucks or all those with the Patriots in like 67% of the season, 66% of the season. And then we ran the numbers and it was basically like, well, an average quarterback in that era is going to complete about 63, 64% of his passes. Right. So we made the joke, not really a joke, but just how statistically uh, of an outlier it was that Tom Brady is more likely to appear in a conference championship game than a quarterback is to complete a pass, you know, like 66% over 63%. Well, Patrick Mahomes is blowing that out of the water. He's 100%. I mean, this is – I think we get used to it because we expect it. This is completely ridiculous what we're seeing. It's insane. It's never been heard of. And – and I just hope that everybody in Kansas City, regardless of the outcome in Baltimore, just appreciates that you're doing something that has never happened before. This has never happened before. It, it's so far out of the realm of the ordinary, it's almost impossible to put it in some sort of formulaic context. No, you're absolutely right. A stat that we had earlier in the week is that Patrick Mahomes currently has 13 playoff wins. If you add Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, and Josh Allen, they have 12 playoff wins among them. I mean, if this team goes to the Super Bowl, if they win this game, he will be tied with playoff wins with Peyton Manning. What he has been able to accomplish so far at age 28 is unprecedented at this point, basically outside of everybody but Tom Brady. Yeah, and he's on that path, and, you know, uh, you know, what we can have the discussion about what constitutes the GOAT is it rings. I personally am not a big ring counter because to me, teams win championships, teams win games. Are quarterbacks part of that? Absolutely. Are they a big part of it? Absolutely. But if MVS doesn't make a contested catch, which hasn't happened since last AFC championship game, we might not be in this position. He made a couple of them. You know, if, if, uh, if the Chiefs defense doesn't step up and figure out, uh, you know, they did an amazing job in the second half stopping that run where they were gashed in the first half for almost 130 yards on the ground. So all of these things factor into it. So Mahomes is, in my opinion, without question on path to becoming the greatest of all time, even if he doesn't get seven, which is what Brady has. And I don't think anybody's going to get seven. There are other ways and other metrics to better determine whether someone is the best of all time. I mean, Brady's seventh came on a, on a team that was already good. Uh, you know, they, they, they won a bunch of games despite a quarterback throwing 30 interceptions in Jameis Winston. And then just for fun, they decided to add Antonio Brown before he went bonkers and Rob Gronkowski. That's an almost unstoppable offensive weapon there. So you, you have to look at the metric of how somebody played in situations as opposed to just count the rings, in my opinion, to make the determination of what I singularly – away from the team success, they are the best at what they do. Trey, what's so exciting about these matchups is you have two very talented, two great quarterbacks and two very different play styles. I look at Lamar Jackson as the best running quarterback that we have ever seen. You talk about the arm angles and the brilliance of Patrick Mahomes. That's what makes this quarterback matchup so exciting is you have two contrasting styles going up against one another. You really do. And, you know, 
I think the Chiefs, the last time I checked the line, they were three and a half point underdogs, right? Is that still where they are? I haven't checked today if the line's moved at all, but I think it's about three and a half. And, you know, this is the first time in the AFC picture where I look at the, the teams and say, the other team is better. Like, you go down, up and down the roster, I think it's safe to say that the other team has been more consistent and played at a higher level over a longer stretch of time than Kansas City. So this is, a, this is an unusual situation. However, there is a been-there-done-that mentality that the Chiefs know and own and thrive on, and that is a huge unknown in this game, right? Uh, this last weekend was the first weekend where Lamar Jackson – won a, his team, a team quarterback by Lamar Jackson, won a divisional round game. In the, in the Lamar Jackson era, they'd been 0-2, and he was 1-3. The team was 1-3 with that one win coming in the wild card round over the Tennessee Titans. So now we're talking about the AFC Championship game. And, you know, this is kind of a legacy game for Lamar Jackson. Can he get to the level? Can he take the team to where Patrick Mahomes has taken his team on multiple occasions? statistically, by the numbers. They have the number one scoring defense. They have the MVP, likely, in, in Lamar Jackson. They should win. But the question is, how do they handle the moment? I think we all know, outside of a second-half brain melt against the Bengals a couple of years ago and the play before the end of the first half, the Chiefs handled these moments very, very well. And, and I think that's the one thing in this game that no one can account for. Right now, we're talking to Trey Wingo with the 33rd team. Trey, we had Mitch Holtz, his voice of the Kansas City Chiefs, join us earlier in the week, and I asked him what he saw about Baltimore, and he said that he is looking at a team that doesn't have any weaknesses. When you look at the Baltimore Ravens, what do you see? I think there is a weakness, and I think it's in the passing game, a consistent passing game. They get the big flashes, and they get the big plays, but a lot of times they have trouble, especially through the air, uh, continuing drives. You, know, you go back to that divisional win over the Texans. It was 10-10. At the half, and yes, the Texans' touchdown was a special teams play. I understand that. But they had 23 passing yards in the first half. Uh, Lamar, I think, at 50. He was 7-11 for 54 yards or a couple of big sacks, which took away some of those numbers. That's not a very good sustainable success. Now, they had some things go their way in the second half, and, and like any good team, when they had to, they turned it up, much like the Chiefs. Down at the half, no problem. They outscore Buffalo on the road in the second half. Um, that's, that's the thing that I think the Chiefs' defense can exploit. Uh, they're going to have to do a lot of things sort of similar to the way they did it against Josh Allen because you know that Lamar's going to try and make plays with his legs, and you're going to have to find a way to sort of mush rush him and have someone spy him, and that's why the, the help of someone like Willie Gay is so critical in this game. But the other thing that I'm concerned about if I'm Kansas City is that I knew the Chiefs could attack the Bills' defense because their linebacking core was so suspect and it was so devastated by injuries. Well, this is a completely different unit. As I said, they're the number one – uh, scoring defense, and their linebackers are as good as any unit in the NFL. Uh, outside of the Ravens not adjusting to the moment, Mahomes, Kelsey, Kelsey, Pacheco, Rice are all going to have to play their best game of the season to beat the Baltimore Ravens because that defense is that good. What I find really interesting about this matchup is you've seen this in a lot of sports, that no one thinks you can do it until you actually do it. And Lamar certainly had a lot of questions yeah. coming into this postseason, but that was against the Houston Texans. That's not a team that many people thought yeah. could actually make a run and win the Super Bowl. He is one game away from never having to answer if you can win the big game. No one will ever question Lamar yeah. again if you can beat Patrick Mahomes in the AFC Championship game. Yeah, and it's a big if, right? I mean – 
Lamar said it uh, in his press conference yesterday today. They asked him about competing against Mahomes. He goes, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it at all. Like, he knows what's at stake. And, you know, which is why I think what's interesting about the Chiefs this year and the way they sort of rebounded has been sort of interesting. They know what's at stake. We don't know if Chris Jones is going to be back next year. We don't know what they're going to do with Legereus Sneed, with Willie Gay, a lot of these core players, right? Uh, there are a lot of players that might be playing their last game in Arrow, uh, for the Kansas City Chiefs if they lose this game. So uh, there's a legacy. I think the Chiefs know that this unit, as it's presently constructed, has an opportunity to do something we haven't seen in the longest stretch in the history of the Super Bowl era, which is have a repeat champion. So I, I think that is a real motivating force for these guys, much in the same way that what you just said about Lamar is a real motivating force for him and the Ravens. They know to be the best, you got to beat the best. And you can say whatever you want about the regular season, where in my opinion, almost every one of the Chiefs' losses was self-inflicted, right? They, they just needed to stop beating themselves. Like you go back to week one, you know, if Kadarius Tony makes that catch, it's not a pick six that goes the other way. And oh, by the way, what is it? It's a one-point game. They don't have four turnovers against the Denver Broncos, including Meikle dropping one inside the uh, five-yard line when they were just about to get the ball back in a one-score game, they probably win that one. If he's not offsides for the lateral, they probably beat the Bills. If MBS makes a catch against the Eagles, they probably win that one. So the Chiefs have figured out how to not self-inflict, and that's what's been the, the best thing about these last two games. They've got to be more consistent in the red zone, but you know we still have to see Lamar and the Ravens in this situation. And they, the Chiefs are playing with house money. Because the way they played, people were like, I don't know, might be over this year, maybe reboot, get a Mike Evans in the offseason, things might be different. Yet here they are again. And the Ravens have never been here in this, in this iteration. But John Harbaugh's won the Super Bowl with Joe Flacco on a completely different team. That was a completely different team. These guys have yet to prove that they can do it. And sometimes that's the hardest thing in the world. Right now we're talking to Trey Wingo for a couple more minutes here. He is with the 33rd team. Trey, we ask everybody this question. Give me your Chiefs win if scenario. Give me your Ravens win if scenario. The Ravens win if they don't spit the bit, if they don't succumb to the pressure. I, I believe they're, I mean, they're, I mean, look what they did to the Lions when the Lions came to Baltimore earlier in the year. And the Lions were a really good offense. Now, granted, over the years, we've seen the Lions play much better at home than they have on the road. So if the Ravens play up to their capabilities, they'll win the game. The Chiefs will win the game if the Ravens feel the pressure, if the Ravens succumb to the moment, and if Patrick Mahomes goes in God mode, right? Like he's going to have – like his best game of the year, even though his numbers weren't great, his best game of the year was the game against Buffalo. Clean, no mistakes, made a couple of unbelievable throws, and didn't force the issue, right? That's, that's, that's the way they won that game. Well, he's going to have to play better than that. Pacheco's going to have to run against a really, really good defense. I have concerns about the offensive line if Tooney can't go. Allegretti played great against the Bills. Again, this is a different level of defense. I think points are going to be at a premium in this game. I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. First to 20 or 22, 23 may win this game. Trey, I asked you about the AFC championship game. I'll get your question on the NFC. Give me your Lions win if, Niners win if. Uh, the Niners win if if they can stop the run and get ahead and do what they do. They play bully ball. They're they're one of the best front runners I've seen in years. And Kyle Shanahan can use that masterful play calling run design offense and really control the clock. And then they can just wear you down on defense. The Lions win if they get off to a hot start. They get up ten nothing, 
14 to 3, 17 to 7. And then the Niners are, are in a position to do the thing that they did last week. I'll give them credit for that. But they don't do really well. If the Lions get off to a good start, I think they can ride that momentum. And by the way, the weather is supposed to be much better in Santa Clara this weekend than it was last weekend in the, uh, in the divisional round. That also uh, helps Brock Purdy because, well, for whatever reason, kid that played college football at Iowa State struggles in the elements. That's, that's kind of a weird situation. The weather's going to be better. The Lions get up early. I think they can win. If the Niners can stop the running game and control the situation and play the way they want to play, then I think they have a real chance to win by double digits. Before I get you out of here, I want to give you an opportunity to plug some of the cool stuff you got going on. You got great work with the 33rd team. You also got a podcast about to drop soon. Yeah, it's about to, it's a new Amazon Wondery uh, combination collaboration, which is great because uh, Wondery is the best and biggest in the podcast industry, and Amazon is the biggest company in the business. It's called Alternate Routes, and it's basically a what-if scenario in almost all the greatest moments in sports. Like, what if Marshawn Lynch had just run the ball against the Patriots in Super Bowl Forty Nine instead of them trying to throw it inside to the third-best receiver? And Malcolm Butler uh, drops, uh, drops, doesn't get to the ball, and, and makes that uh, – Ricardo Lockett doesn't make the catch, and Butler picks off the interception. Well, if that happens – the, the Seahawks are the first team since the Patriots to repeat. Pete Carroll becomes the first coach in the history of football, in the history of football, with multiple championships in college, multiple championships in the NFL. Tom Brady might be gone from New England right after that game. Jimmy Garoppolo comes in. Everything changes. Brady may not become the GOAT. Russell Wilson never leaves. Daryl Bevel, who made that call, the offensive coordinator, was the hottest OC at the time. And – he hasn't sniffed a job since. That one play changed a myriad of things. Marshawn Lynch goes on to become the greatest marketing player in the history of the NFL because his brand just continues to grow. So it's going to drop. The first episode is going to drop after the Super Bowl. It's called Alternate Routes. Uh, Amazon, Wondery Plus, wherever you get your podcast. It's me and my old Sports Center co-host, Kevin Frazier, who is doing great work on entertainment tonight. So it's good to be back together with him. And we're just going to go through all the what-if scenarios in sports that everyone talks about anyway. It's going to be a blast. And that is Trey Wingo joining us on the show today with the 33rd team. Also has a very exciting podcast coming up after the Super Bowl. You can check that out. Trey, it's always an honor to have you join us on the show to get ready for such a big weekend in the NFL. Thanks a bunch. Go Chiefs, baby. Let's do it. That is Trey Wingo joining us on the show today. Coming up on the other side, Lamar isn't getting enough credit, I think, for developing as a passer and one critical stat that will determine who wins this game. That's coming up. Keep it right here. It's the drive. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. 
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. You're listening to The Drive with Carrington Harrison, brought to you by Deep Esqually Moore. Car, truck, or motorcycle wreck? Remember, Mike's got this on your official broadcast partner of the Kansas City Chiefs, 610 Sports Radio. Kansas City, it's Willie Gay Jr. You're listening to The Drive with Carrington Harrison on 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. We'll give somebody a chance to win a pizza coming up here in about 10 to 15 minutes or so. I want to give you guys a couple of stats about Lamar as a passer. We gave you the stat earlier today. In games in which Lamar Jackson has had 29 or fewer pass attempts, the Ravens are 43 and 10 in Lamar's career. In games in which he has had 30 or more pass attempts, the Ravens are 17 and 12 in those games. I do think the formula of beating Baltimore is pretty simplistic. I can understand the causation versus correlation argument, but if we are talking about a team that leads the NFL in rush attempts this year, the way that Baltimore did and a team that was 30th in the NFL when it came to pass attempts, we all know what kind of style that the Baltimore Ravens want to play. They want to run the football effectively. They're going to use the RPO. They're going to use play action. They're going to utilize the tight ends in the middle of the field. They are anticipating having Mark Andrews in this game. I think we know the style of fight that at least Baltimore is going to play in this game. A couple of things, because I do think that Lamar has improved as a passer. And some of the criticisms that you could have early in his career I'm not sure if you can necessarily have those criticisms of him now. So the year that he won MVP back in 2019 on passes to the outside of the numbers, he threw 36% of the time this year, Rob, it was 45%. So he has become incredibly more comfortable throwing outside the numbers. I still think Lamar Jackson is Lamar Jackson, and this is a game in which Mark Andrews is going to be critical. This is a game in which Isaiah Likely, their backup tight end, this is a game that he's going to be critical. He is one of the best intermediate passers in the NFL. If you were talking about 10 yards and in and in the middle of the field and how you use that RPO to set up your tight end, Baltimore is really, really dangerous. They're also not a team that you can let run the football effectively because it then opens up their play action. So this season, Lamar Jackson completed 74% of his passes on play action, Rob. He threw for 1,400 yards just on those kinds of throws this year and had a 6-1 to one touchdown to quarter uh, interception rating in play action passes. I think we know exactly everything that we need to know about Lamar Jackson. Like we have seen enough of him to know what his strengths are, but I also think that he has done a pretty good job of taking his weaknesses over the last couple of years. And I don't know if I would necessarily say that it is a strength. 
I don't know if you were worried about Baltimore throwing outside the numbers or being a deep play down the field offense, but they're certainly much better at that than they've been over the last couple of years, which makes their offense more well-rounded, more complete than I think we've seen in years past. We haven't really talked about it in enough, but Todd Munkin, the former offensive coordinator at Georgia, who, as you'll recall, spanked around TCU in the national title game, got hired at Baltimore to be the offensive coordinator. And there is noticeable change in their offense from previous to him to now. Those stats further illustrate the impact he is having on the Ravens team. I think too often NFL fans, Chiefs fans, whatever fans have fallen into a little bit of a narrative trap with the Ravens and the fact that, oh, they can only throw over the middle. Oh, Lamar's not a passer. He can't do this. He can't do that. Because a lot of that was true under their former offensive coordinator. And a lot of that was true the year that Lamar won MVP. But Todd Munkin has shown up and changed a lot of things in Baltimore. And I understand Chiefs fans haven't locked into Baltimore games. They've been buried in the noon window basically every day this season. So it's hard to be like, let me watch the Ravens. But every stat that you just showed told me, hey, Todd Munkin has changed Lamar Jackson. Todd Munkin has changed the Raven offense. I don't know if that means you're going to beat Kansas City. You're going to put up massive numbers. But I feel like a lot of the text line comments we're getting about Lamar are based in 2018, 2019, 2020 Lamar narratives. Todd Munkin is changing things in Baltimore for the better. But I also think, though, if you're looking at it, I do think that there is a, hey, you got to prove you can do this against a defense like this. And Kansas City has done a really good job this year, I think, of disguising its blitz getting after the quarterback and being a defense that can take things away. If this defense takes away the middle of the field and now forces Lamar to do some different things, is he able to counter their defense for the most part this season has been really good at countering, taking away what you do really well and also being able to recover on the fly. You might take advantage of the chiefs defense in the first 15, 20 minutes of the game, we have not seen a team so far this season that's been that's been able to take care of this defense over the full 60 minutes. They usually find some kind of rhythm. Middle of the third quarter, heading into the fourth quarter, this defense really starts to figure some things out and really starts to play well. A big thing for me in this game is going to be red zone opportunities. Baltimore is much better in the red zone than Kansas City was this year. They were one of the best teams in the red zone this year. They were sixth in the red zone opportunities. Kansas City this year was 19th. Kansas City so far, they are scoring in the playoffs, and they're two games on 40% of their red zone drives, while Baltimore was 4-5 or on Saturday against the Houston Texans. Kicking field goals and turning the ball over in the red zone the way that they just did against Buffalo might not be the formula to win this game. You remember Kansas City, their first two play, uh, first two drives, they kicked the field goals, and then obviously the fumble from McCall Hardman. They're going to need to be a little sharper in the red zone in this matchup because they are going up against a team that usually converts those chances. They usually convert those opportunities into touchdowns in Kansas City. I would say that's probably been one of their biggest weaknesses, too. You and I talk a lot about drops, turnovers, and penalties. Another problem with the offense this season has been converting in the red zone. They were below average at scoring in the red zone. They're going up against a team that was one of the better teams at doing that. Okay, so this probably, I don't know if it's the first time this week where you're going to get labeled a hater, and that's fine. But you're telling me the key to success is the red zone. The Chiefs 
who have struggled in the red zone all season long. They struggled in the red zone against basically everyone other than the Bears. You think this is the week they break through against the best defense in the National Football League, the team that led the NFL in total defense? I'm not saying your thought isn't correct. The Chiefs got to take advantage of red zone opportunities. But you think, hey, after struggling at times against the Bills with it, after struggling at times against the Dolphins with it, after struggling with it at times against everyone, they're going to break through and take seize the moment against the number one total defense in the NFL? I think that is the key to success, but I don't know the Chiefs have the formula to crack that code. They didn't crack it against the Chargers and Raiders. Do you think they're going to crack it against the Baltimore Ravens? But I would say, at least in this game, the same way that you and I talked about turnovers earlier. You were big on, hey, they haven't been turning the ball over. They've done much better at turnovers. They have not turned into a defense that takes the ball away from the opposition, but they have been better at ball security for themselves. I'm not necessarily saying that this team needs to go out there and there are four red zone opportunities. You got to score a touchdown on all four of those drives. That's probably not going to happen. You got to pick one of the two. Either you are going to be better in the red zone or you have to then hold them to field goals in the red zone. It's probably more likely that they hold them. Hey, Baltimore gets down the field a couple of times. It's now a third and eight for the defense. You get a quarterback hit from George Karloftis. You get a quarterback hit from Charles Aminahu that disrupts timing. And now Baltimore is settling for three with Justin Tucker as opposed to scoring a touchdown. I mean, they were one of the better teams. They scored a touchdown on 60. We're not even talking about points. Baltimore scored a touchdown on 63% of their red zone opportunities this year. And you know their kicker is money. If they get down in the red zone, you can assure that you are leaving with points. Can you turn those sevens that they have been getting against virtually everybody else? Can you turn those into three-point opportunities? And that could be the difference in this game. We'll give somebody a chance to win a pizza, 913-586-7610. That's 913-586-7610. We got a trivia mini game coming up on the other side, and then we'll get back to Chiefs and Ravens in the AFC Championship game. Keep it right here. It's The Drive. The Drive with Carrington Harrison, brought to you by Deep Esquale Moore. Car wreck? Get the money you deserve. Mike's got this on 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. Ladies and gentlemen, he's feeling it. I am champion dot. You never know when it's going to happen, but it's always your chance to win. Here's another edition of CDOT's Trivia Minigame on The Drive. All right, we are going to give Eric, we're only going to give one person an opportunity to win this Trivia Minigame. We will have another one tomorrow, but today we're doing something a little bit different. Eric, how are you doing today? Are you a big Chiefs fan? Yeah, I, I think so. All right. You know what, Eric? I'm going to give you one trivia question. I'm going to give you 40 seconds to get the correct answer. If you get the correct answer, I'll give you two pizzas from the other place. If you don't get it, I will hang up on you, and we will give your two pizzas to someone else. Are you ready to play? I think so, yes. All right. There are four current players in the National Football League who have played for both the Chiefs and the Ravens. I will also give you a clue that all four of these players have been teammates of Patrick Mahomes. So these are four recent players who have played for the Chiefs and have also played for the Ravens. You have 40 seconds to see if you can name all four of them. If you do, I will give you two pizzas from the other place. Rob, hit the music. Justin Houston. Correct. Marcus Peters. Man. Um, I can't think of any other Ravens. You have two of them. You still got time. 
Both uh, of them have played with Patrick Mahomes. Is Demarcus Robinson one of them? He is one of them. You have one more. Uh, not Chris Conley. Sammy Watkins. Sammy Watkins is not currently in the NFL. Oh, shoot. He's not currently in the league. He did play for both, though. I, I appreciate it, Eric. Sammy Watkins is not in the NFL. Someone said Terrell Suggs. Currently in the National Football League. There are two. Or four, excuse me. Justin Houston is one. Demarcus Robinson is one. Marcus Peters is the other. Well, the people in the text line are guessing someone that never was active for the Chiefs, thus doesn't count. You guys are missing an obvious one. If you know who it is, text line 913-586-7610. We'll give you two pizzas to the other place. If you don't know, then we will not give you a pizza to the other place. We'll tell you coming up in five minutes who it is. There are four current players in the National Football League that have played for both. Justin Houston, Demarcus Robinson, Marcus Peters, and there is one more that uh, currently is still in the league. Um, All right, Rob, let me ask you a question, good sir, in related to a list. I think Barry Sanders is the greatest Heisman Trophy winner to play in the National Football League. I don't really think that's that much of a debate. I don't think I'm going out on some limb. Do you think that Lamar Jackson is second? Because these are the guys that I would put into the conversation if you don't have the Heisman list memorized. Barry is one. You got Tim Brown, Charles Woodson. Now, I don't think he has an argument, but Derrick Henry certainly has had a great NFL career and has a chance of being a Hall of Fame player. And Marcus Allen. Maybe there's somebody from the 1940s. Let's talk about in the last 30, 40 years or so. If we're, if we're going to put Barry Sanders as one, as a Heisman Trophy winner who turned around and had an incredible NFL career, if you said that Barry Sanders is the greatest football player of all time, I wouldn't fight you. Do you think that Lamar Jackson is second as the best Heisman Trophy winner that we have seen in the National Football League? I think he is, and I think the argument for first is a lot more compelling than I think you're leading on. I mean... Lamar has a chance to be a multiple-time MVP winner. We think he's going to be a multiple-time MVP winner. He was, what, the first ever unanimous MVP winner? And if he wins Sunday, he will at least have a Super Bowl appearance under his belt? Like, I think he's right now two to Barry Sanders, but I'm not certain that with a couple more years, a couple more seasoning, a little more time, or even just a win on Sunday – Lamar doesn't ascend to 1-1 overall. Like, Lamar's on a path to being the Hall of Fame, so he's equal footing to Woodson, equal footing to Brown, equal footing to Allen. Now, Super Bowls will be the big thing, but, you know, it wasn't like Tim Brown raked in the Super Bowls. It wasn't like Barry Sanders was a Super Bowl-a-palooza. Charles Woodson had, what, two? One, maybe, that I can think of? Marcus Allen had two? I mean... Lamar Jackson's going to have the MVPs. He's going to have been playing the most important position, has a chance at a Super Bowl appearance slash win still. Plus, he's 20s, what, six? I'm not so certain Marcus, excuse me, Lamar Jackson won't go down as the greatest Heisman winner of all time in the NFL. A lot of people are arguing, what about Joe Burrow? I think you have to put Lamar ahead of him for the fact that he has just won two NFL MVPs. Like, I think you have to put him ahead of Burrow. Burrow is incredible. 
I think you at least got I, I think you got to put Lamar ahead of him. I would probably rank it this way. I would put Barry at one for obvious reasons. I would put Charles Woodson at two. So you don't have Lamar at two right now. I have, I have Lamar at three. I would then put Marcus Allen at four and Tim Brown currently at five. That's how I would have it. If I'm ranking Heisman trophy winners and how we've seen them translate to the next level. I think Barry Lamar is kind of one, a one B. So fighting that's kind of a waste of time. How is Charles Woodson ahead of Lamar Jackson right now? Like, I know he's a Hall of Famer. His career is incredible. You're going to be a list of accomplishments. You know I'm about to. I can't wait to even pull it's it up. Gonna, you just go to Canton. Just go to his bust at Canton.com, and you'll, I'm sure it's great. But I mean, the list of accomplishments Lamar Jackson has is pretty great already, it, it and is. there's still I'm more just, time to be done. I'm looking at Charles Woodson's, and I'm not saying that Lamar obviously can pass him. I mean, won a Super Bowl, defensive rookie of the year, won a defensive player of the year. He was an All Pro. Eight separate times in the NFL and was on the all-decade team. Like, Charles Woodson just doesn't have a hole in his resume. I know he didn't play the quarterback position, so we just don't look at his accomplishments the same way you look at Lamar's and winning the two NFL MVPs. Charles Woodson is about as solid of a football player that we've seen in a while. I got to put him at number two, man. If Barry is unapproachable, and I, I'm not even – you're arguing a 1A, 1B with Barry and Lamar. A 1A, I'm not arguing a 1A, 1B. I think it's a 1A, 1B. I'm not arguing a 1A, 1B. I got to put Charles ahead of him too, man. I got to. With, I mean, with, with, with this resume, I got to do it. Lamar's about to add his fourth Pro Bowl. Again, he'll be in the league since 2018, so four of six. So there's pretty great. A third All-Pro is coming down the pike a second MVP and his first MVP was unanimous. He has a chance at a Super Bowl appearance and a Super Bowl victory. Like considering his body of work is still largely ahead of him. I think to date Lamar Jackson has a real candidacy for best ever. I mean, how many multiple time MVP winners are in the league period? It's what Rogers, Lamar, Mahomes, Manning, Breeze, Brady. It's not that many. Like that's a small grouping. Yeah. So he's already in some rarefied air in about two weeks when he wins that award. He can even enter more rarefied air if they win the Super Bowl. Like, Barry was great, but I think some of the lure of Barry is that he left early. He left the league while he was still on top. Lamar's resume is going to end up better, and right now it seems 1B-ish. Let me tell you guys really quickly the answer to the uh, trivia question. Orlando Brown. Orlando Brown was the other chief that uh, had played for both the Chiefs and the Ravens. The four teammates are Orlando Brown, Justin Houston, Demarcus Robinson, Marcus Peters. A lot of people were saying uh, Melvin Gordon. Melvin Gordon never played for the Chiefs. He was kind of a weird answer there. But, no, Melvin Gordon uh, never played for the Chiefs. Sammy Watkins also uh, not a guy who – not in, not in the league anymore. Not, not active. Yeah. Not in the league anymore. Uh, someone on the text line says Lamar hasn't done anything in the postseason, and that's where you judge. That is a very, very fair If point. we're doing that, Barry Sanders can't be one. No, I agree. But I, I guess I would just say with Lamar, though, I would say that Lamar is potentially one game away from ending that conversation. One game away. Like, it is a very fair criticism and critique of Lamar Jackson if that's how you feel about Lamar. Like, I am not here to make excuses for Lamar and how he's performed in the postseason. Like, if you are a two-time MVP, if you are that guy, then you have to go win a game like this. His two wins in the postseason, Rob, they are against the Tennessee Titans and the Houston Texans, two teams that no one deemed to be a Super Bowl contending team. There is a difference between being a playoff team 
and a Super Bowl contending team. Kansas City is a Super Bowl contending team. San Francisco, these last few years, they have been a Super Bowl contending team. If those are your two wins in the postseason, are Tennessee and Houston, then you don't have a great postseason win. And Lamar was phenomenal last week. He threw for 150 yards, two touchdowns, didn't turn the ball over, and had two rushing touchdowns, and had almost 300 yards total yards. So Lamar was fantastic last uh, last week. But you were not impressing anybody by beating C.J. Stroud in his second start and Ryan Tannehill in a postseason. This is how you measure yourself up against the greats. How do you play against Tom Brady in a postseason? How do you compete against a Patrick Mahomes? How do you measure up against the other great quarterbacks in your era, whether that's a Josh Allen or a Joe Burrow? That's really the knock on Josh Allen. I don't think anyone thinks that Josh Allen's a bad quarterback, but you've gone up against uh, Joe Burrow. You lost last year at home. You just had Patrick Mahomes at home. Your team lost that game. That's really what it th- I think it boils down to with Josh Allen. If those are your two wins, if those are your two heads on the wall, is you got C.J. Stroud and Ryan Tannehill, you have not done nearly enough in the postseason. Now it's time, if you're the Ravens, to go big game hunting. You got an opportunity to slay the biggest beast in the postseason this side of Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. The Kansas City Chiefs are coming to your building. If you're Lamar, if you're this offense, if you're this franchise that's been very, very good over the last 20 years or so, if you win this game, no one will ever be able to say that about you again. Hey, Lamar, how does he perform in the postseason? You beat the biggest ghost of them all. You slayed the biggest dragon, the biggest monster of them all, which is the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. It's an unanswerable question. I feel like Lamar has the most interesting narrative around him of maybe any player in the NFL. The way we talk about Lamar is just so different than a player in the league. If he does slay the dragon on Sunday, if he beats Mahomes and goes to a Super Bowl, do you think the narrative around him changes? Because I would say Joe Burrow, the way we view Joe Burrow, who's a great quarterback. I don't want this to come out like a slight to Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow's great when healthy. I know Chiefs fans hate him, but he's great. He was probably on the greatest college team of all time. He's great. We talk about him different because he beat Mahomes. We, as a media, find ways to slight Lamar Jackson, basically at every turn, since he has entered the league, despite his multiple-time MVPs. Do you think that changes with the win on Sunday? Do you think the way we talk about him and the way we talk about Joe Burrow ever becomes the same, and we stop trying to nitpick his game and just respect what it is because I would say to date it has always been well the playoff success well he's not a thrower you know how Twitter works they call him a backup running back at times on the app like do you think the way we talk about him changes if he puts Patrick Mahomes head on his wall yeah absolutely 100% 100% I mean we do that with all sports we do that with all players I mean, think about the way we talk about Clayton Kershaw who has been incredible in the regular season Part of Clayton Kershaw's legacy is that he's come up short in the postseason. So, absolutely. I mean, you and I watch the NBA. People feel very different about Jokic after his team finally went on a run. Yeah, if you're Lamar and you're the two-time MVP and now you've got the current MVP coming to your house, you got to play really well in this game and you have to be a reason of why your team advances to the next round of the postseason. We'll get back to the Chiefs and Ravens game here coming up in just a little bit. But I want to give you guys a stat. 
because we have heard from a lot of different people that have talked about how Taylor Swift and her appearance at this game, how it has been a detriment, how it has turned people off, how people are disenchanted with that the NFL has turned into more entertainment and less about football, like the great, very respected Tony Dungy thing that's disenchanting people with with sports now there's so much on the outside that come coming in entertainment value and uh, different things as taking away from what really happens on the field or will kane when he was on television i'm watching for football Rachel, it was negative five do you know what it takes to play football in negative five it's impossible don't you want a break from seeing these guys and see a pretty girl once in a while i mean come on. well that's what we have cheerleaders for yep <laughs> it is All right, I want to give you the real official stats. This information comes from the New York Times. The game time for the Chiefs and Bills. Rob, if you add them together, they have been six hours and nine minutes. If you want to know how you have spent your time, we have spent six hours and nine minutes watching the Chiefs this year in the postseason. In the game against the Dolphins, Taylor Swift was shown on screen for exactly one minute and 16 seconds. In the game Sunday against the Buffalo Bills, Taylor Swift was shown on the screen for exactly 25 seconds. If you add that up, Taylor Swift has been shown on screen so far in the postseason for one minute and 41 seconds. If you want the percentage, Rob, that is 0.46% of the postseason football that we have watched this year with the Kansas City Chiefs. Please leave that woman alone. She is not bothering anybody. She is not taking away from your football experience. I assure you that you are getting more than enough football this postseason. I bet you if we look at the stats, we have seen that Apple commercial with the singing plug outlet more than we have seen Taylor Swift during these games. We have seen Jake from State Farm. We have seen that one commercial with the bundle where the guy rips his shirt and then puts the Gatorade over his head. We've seen that on screen more than we have seen Taylor Swift in these first postseason games. They are not showing her that much on the television. She is not bothering anybody. She's fine. I would imagine if we did this same exercise with how often they show Jason Kelsey shirtless, I'm going to guess that they showed Jason Kelsey shirtless more on Sunday than they did in the two games combined of showing Taylor Swift. She is not bothering anybody. She is not harming anybody. Them showing her is not taking away from the game. The Chiefs score a touchdown. Her boyfriend scores a touchdown. They flash to her really quickly. She smiles. She seems to be enjoying the game. And then they get right back to the football. If you know somebody in your life that is complaining about how much they've shown Taylor Swift, I just want you to give them this very simple stat. In the postseason so far, they have shown her on screen for 1 minute and 41 seconds. That's it. She is not bothering anybody. She is not taken away from the game you love. The game you love is not more about entertainment or any of that nonsense. No one is disenchanted by it. The Chiefs and Bills just had the highest ranking for any divisional round matchup in the history of the divisional round. 
I'm going to guess that all of them were not there for Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. I've seen them play in the divisional round before. That some of the people that are there are watching it because Taylor Swift. And all the people that are watching it for Taylor seem to be perfectly fine, even though they are not showing her that much on television. They ain't showing her that much. She was on TV for less than 30 seconds last week. Leave that woman alone. The only reason they were showing her in the Miami game is because Miami was getting their ass whooped. They wouldn't have been showing her so much. If the game had been good and competitive, they really started in the fourth quarter. They were like, all right, we got to do something here. Miami has no chance of winning this game. How can we keep people intrigued? Hey, give them Taylor. Camera B. Camera B. Get to it. The only time it was annoying, for me at least, was you're right. The fourth quarter against Miami, when Tariko figured out she was in the booth beneath him. That was the only moment where I'm like, all right. Because they had that corny joke where Jason Garrett was like, I thought they were taking photos of me because I coached in the league. Hardy har har. It was a terrible joke. Outside of that, I have no problem with the most famous person on earth being shown at Chiefs games when her boyfriend has success in the NFL. That's fine by me. This is like the Jessica Simpson, Tony Romo thing all over again. Who cares who's dating who? She's famous. He's famous. She's having a great time of games. Let her have a great time of games. Someone on the uh, text line said, I'm tired of that singing outlet commercial. I like the singing outlet commercial probably the first three or four times I've seen. I've seen it too much. The fact that I know all the words to the commercial usually is I've seen it too many times. Apple, I know I know you got a budget that you can be rotating some fresh commercials in here. We don't got to see the same one time and time again. You don't even really even know that it's an Apple commercial to the end. You don't know what it is. It could be a, a, a it could be a a a, a Glade plug-in commercial. I'm sick of seeing that commercial. I don't ever want to see it again. We'll get back to Chiefs and Ravens coming up on the other side. Keep it right here, it's the drive. First to breaking news in Kansas City Sports Radio. We'll get back to the AFC Championship game here coming up in just a bit, but the Atlanta Falcons have made a decision on who they want to hire as their next coach. And they are not hiring Bill Belichick. The Falcons plan to hire Rams defensive coordinator Raheem Morris as their next head coach, according to Adam Schefter of ESPN. Bill Belichick didn't get the Chargers job. That job went to Jim Harbaugh. He didn't get the Falcons job. I'm trying to think of another job that he interviewed for, and there really weren't that many of those opportunities. I think that Ben Johnson is going to end up getting the Lions job. I think the commanders are simply just waiting for the Lions to be eliminated from the postseason, and then they're going to announce that hire, that they're going to hire the Lions offensive coordinator. I'm looking at this thing, and again, we'll get back to the AFC championship game here coming up in just a bit. I don't know where Bill Belichick is going to go. Someone on the text line says he goes to Washington. I don't believe that he is interviewed in Washington. I don't think that that's where he's going. I think that he's. I think that Ben Johnson is getting that job. I don't know where Bill Belichick is going to be the head coach next year. Like, if I had to guess, I don't think he is going to be a head coach next year. And I think that he is going to be. I mean, there's only two jobs left. It's either Washington or the Seahawks. If the Eagles were making a move, they would have made a move by now. If the Cowboys were making a move, they would have made a move right now. I mean, there were eight jobs that were available, and six of them have filled themselves. I think we see Dan Quinn get the Seattle Seahawks job, or maybe they're waiting to see what happens with the remaining teams in the NFL playoffs. And again, I don't think that Bill is going to Washington. I don't know where Bill's going to land. 
Are we sure Bill is going to land? Yeah, like, I, and right now, if you ask me, I think that Bill's going to be on ESPN next next season. That would be, I mean, he the people presume that Nick Saban's headed to TV because he was good on college game day. Bill Belichick and Nick Saban are friends. Like, I could see him headed to TV for a year, sitting out, and then finding another chance to get back in the cycle. But and if Belichick doesn't have a job in the NFL, that makes what Andy Reid the oldest coach in the NFL going into next year because. Raheem Morris is obviously younger than him. Brian Callahan got hired by the Titans younger than him. Dan Quinn is getting hired is younger than him. Unless the commanders go Belichick, he'll be the oldest guy in the league next year. Yeah, I this is I'm a little torn, I guess. Torn, I guess, in this opinion. Maybe the better way to explain it. I don't think that this is age related. I really for, don't. For Belichick? I don't think really? it's age related. You and I both know the NFL. If you felt like Belichick could come in and be a solid winner and you would get three seasons of him and then you had a plan to hand things over to him, I don't think this would be an issue. This is an indictment on the how, on how the NFL feels he is as a coach without Tom Brady. That's how I'm taking this. Maybe I'm wrong in that. But if you felt like Bill Belichick was available and you had a chance to get the second winningest coach of all time, we have no reason to believe that he has any health issues, do we? I don't know Bill personally, but I'm, I haven't heard anything. Bill's been sick. Bill's been battling anything. I think if you were the rest of the league, you have looked at, you've looked at the Patriots over the last couple of years. Belichick wants too much player control. You don't want him to basically bring over the entire staff that he's had these last four years without Tom Brady. And now you are looking at it and you're thinking, hey, if we're going to do this thing for two years and he's just going to be here solely to get the wins record and have more wins than any coach in the National Football League, we at least got to have a plan in place. Is Belichick, is he young enough to sit out this year and then next year when the coaching carousel comes back around that a team is then going to hire Bill Belichick? We're also talking about that Vrabel hasn't gotten a job in this. You would have thought that Vrabel would have been at the top of a lot of teams' lists. So Vrabel's still available, Ben Johnson's still available, and Belichick is still available. There's only two jobs left. All three of them are not getting head coaching jobs. A very, very interesting turn, the way that this has happened for Bill Belichick. If you guys missed it, if you're just turning in, Bill Belichick did not get the Atlanta Falcons job. They hired Raheem Morris, and they are going in a different direction. Someone on the text line says, with all of his media interviews, what makes you think that Belichick would be good on television? I don't know if you guys remember, but remember when NFL was doing their NFL 100 and they were doing it? Bill Belichick was incredible on that. I think it's about how you use Bill Belichick. I think his media interactions are more, he just doesn't want to give the media anything to write and any information. I think Bill, when he really wants to talk about football, is really good at it. When he did college game day a couple of weeks ago, I thought Bill was really, really good on college game day. I think Bill would be fine on television. You put him with the right cast, the right people, the people that love football. I think that, uh, I think that Bill Belichick would actually be pretty good at television. We'll be joined by Danny Parkins of six, seven, the score in Chicago here coming up in just a bit. I do want to throw this out before we catch up with Danny. Rob, I think people are over Tony Romo. Now, maybe this is just a small vocal minority of people on the text line. But I remember when Romo first started, people were excited about Romo. You felt like you learned things from Tony Romo. There was a sort of youthfulness, exuberance about it. He called the game very differently than anybody else has. 
it feels like that act has worn thin with a lot of people. I don't think that he's Chris Collinsworth. I don't think he's Greg Olson. I think Greg Olson has been really, really strong as an analyst. And it's kind of disappointing that Brady's going to step in and now take Greg Olson off the number one game and you're going to put Greg Olson somewhere else. I think people have sort of moved out of it with Tony Romo. He doesn't feel nearly as beloved. It doesn't even feel like it's 50-50 anymore. I get it's polarizing, right? Like some of you like hate listen to the show. Some of you like love the show. That's kind of how it is. You kind of want to be on both sides. Some of you hate Joe Buck. Some of you love Joe Buck. That's kind of what comes with the business. Do any of you love Tony Romo? Like, are you excited? Man, the Chiefs got the 325 game on CBS. I'm happy that I got Nance and Romo on the call. I feel like people are really, really disenchanted with Tony Romo as a broadcaster, and he got off to an incredible start. I mean, people loved Romo at the very, very beginning. Things have changed. Why I thought of this was, this was a headline in the New York Post. Romo and Nance are a mess as we barrel towards the 2024 Super Bowl, and then the story just continues to go on how Romo was a sensation at the very beginning of the time. You remember Romo got that big contract and really kind of started a domino effect around the National Football League. It then says, now, not halfway through Romo's decade-long deal, CBS Sports executive have an issue because Romo and his partner, Jim Nance, are manning broadcasts that lack chemistry, storytelling, strategy, and levity. It is routinely discombobulated. That is from the New York Post. I definitely feel like people are kind of out of it when it comes to Romo. I don't know this because I don't know the inner workings of CBS. I don't know the inner workings of Jim Nance, Tony Romo. I don't know. But it seemed like what made Romo great early was he could just see a play coming and he gave the prediction and then it hit and it like flabbergasted listeners and viewers and Nance and Nance like, Whoa, how'd you know that? And then Romo would explain why he knew that. But it seems like over time as Romo's gotten further and further into this, he's less and less likely to call the play correctly. And the fact that he doesn't really do the work is starting to become apparent. Like, there is storytelling to that New York Times piece on the Fox broadcast. Collinsworth may be annoying, but he gives you a second and third level of analysis. Romo just seems like, I'm going to guess the play, and now that he's guessing the play wrong, it just seems to fall a little flat sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Someone on the text line says, I actually do enjoy the way Tony calls a game. However, his love for Josh Allen is as knowing as his love for Joe Buck was with Madison Bumgarner. I think Tony does the same thing for Patrick Mahomes. I think he does the exact same thing. I think Tony is just a really over-the-top guy. And I think that it was new and different in the very, very beginning. But now we are in year six and seven of the same bit, the same crossover, the same move. Yo, switch it up a little bit. Give me something a little bit different. Give me something a little bit new. Spice it up a little bit. And I just don't know if it's coming from that broadcast. I think it is the worst big game broadcast now. You look at ESPN and Monday Night Football. Are we counting Amazon? No, I don't count that. Okay, one. I just wanted to know what big game broadcast. The Amazon meant. one's not good. <laughs> the Amazon one is not. Good. I just wanted to know. It's bad. It's bad. And the thing is, I actually think Herb Street is doing everything he can to make it good. Al Michaels is done. <laughs> Al Al Michaels, he is a professor who has been tenured. That boy, he is. He's cooked. He's done. We all love Al Michaels. He called the Olympics between the United States and Russia. Do you believe in miracles? Yeah. Al Michaels, is he might be the greatest to ever do this. He is Frank Sinatra at the end of his career. His voice is shot. He's cooked.
Absolutely done. No, I'm with you. So if if we are ranking broadcast, I think Monday Night Footballs is the best. I really like Kevin Burkhardt and Greg Olson. I I love that Fox crew. I think that Fox crew is really good. I'd put NBC's broadcast. I mean, there's probably some ones that like I probably like Kevin Harlan and his who who is he with? They put him with Trick Green. They put him with Rich Gannon. I like Nansen Romo. It, it's it ain't working how it was working in the in the very beginning. I know we have up against break. You can't have Aikman at one. Aikman stinks. I like I love the Monday Night Football. Aikman one. is so bad. Aikman is you talk about a guy who doesn't have the fastball anymore. Aikman talks about football like it's ninety four still. Nah, you're oh right. my no, god! The thing I so like about bad. Aikman, and we can have this conversation. The thing I like about Aikman is Aikman is one of the few that will actually be critical. Like Aikman will tell you hey, they need to fire their offensive coordinator and go in another direction, or that was a bad throw. I don't feel like you really get that from Romo. Like, I want you to be positive, right? I understand. You're in a position of selling the National Football League. I feel like Aikman is at least willing to go out on a limb and tell you when something like, hey, they messed this up. Tell me why they messed it up. Like, give me your opinion some. Romo is just so over the top and excited all the time, and I I, I actually kind of feel like what happened with Romo is... I think it maybe was annoying to CBS that he was calling plays. Maybe some teams told him, hey, we don't want you doing that anymore. Hey, people hear this. It hurts us. Don't do it. And you took away the one thing that made Romo special and that he could really rely on. Hey, I'm a quarterback. Hey, I, I know what this means. I'm, I'm going to use this information to tell the audience. Once you have removed that trick from him, he doesn't have another move. Like he had, he had the Kareem sky hook. You took away his sky hook. We don't know Kareem for any other move. I'm sure he did other things, but man, that sky hook was beautiful. You became the leading scorer all time in the NBA. You took Tony Romo's sky hook away from him. I don't feel like he can do anything else. Coming up on the other side, we'll be joined by Danny Parkins of 670 The Score in Chicago. For my money, he is one of the best sports talk hosts in the country. We'll get his thoughts on the AFC and NFC championship game. That's coming up next. It's the drive. You're listening to The Drive with Carrington Harrison. Remember to follow the show on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by Deep Esquale Moore. Car wreck? Get the money you deserve. Mike's got this on 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. This is The Drive with Carrington Harrison on 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. Let's head to the phone lines right now to be joined by Danny Parkins of 670 The Score in Chicago. For my money, Danny Parkins is one of the best sports talk hosts in the country. He also does a podcast called First and Pod. Get that wherever you get your podcast from. Just two guys talking about ball. We don't call him Danny Parkins on this show. Park Park, what's good? Good afternoon, CDOT. It's not the Arrowhead Invitational, but six straight AFC Championship games that you get to watch and cover and be up close and personal with. It's pretty amazing, man. It absolutely is. Speaking of that, you got to see your Chicago Cubs win the World Series, and I'm sure as a kid that was something that you never thought you would see. I believe that the Detroit Lions are going to the Super Bowl. Do you believe they are going to the Super Bowl? Wow. Um, No, I don't. But I hope they do. I think I told you on the show before the season, I said that the opener was going to be the Super Bowl, that it was going to be Chiefs-Lions. And so uh, I'm rooting for my prediction to be correct. I'm rooting for the Lions because even though they're in the Bears division, they're not really the Bears' rival because they were never a threat 
at any point. So it's a great story. They're incredibly likable. Their offense is amazing. Uh, but I do not expect Purdy to play as poorly as he did last week again. And Goff's home road splits are pretty stark, even though it won't be a cold weather situation. I just think that the Niners are a pretty significant step up to what the Lions have gone through the last couple of weeks with the Rams and the Bucks. So I think the Niners will win and feast on Detroit's defense, and the Lions' offense will just be slowed enough uh, in order to lose a high-scoring game. But I'm rooting for the Lions. I have my questions after watching San Francisco against Green Bay. I was very disappointed with their defensive line. They didn't get nearly the pressure that I thought they would, especially given the resources that they've put out there. We are still uncertain about the health and status of Debo Samuel. Brock Purdy has just been a completely different quarterback when Debo's been healthy as opposed to when he hasn't been. And I just got my questions about the quarterback. You taught me that the NFL is a quarterback league. We are now down to the final four, and I question if the team with the worst quarterback, if they are going to be the team that wins a single elimination tournament. I understand, and the Lions' offensive line is great, so I don't expect the Niners' defensive line to wreak complete havoc in this game. I just think that overall uh, the Niners are the slightly more talented team than Detroit. Don't get it twisted, man. Like, this is one of those 55-45 games. Like I, play, I think if they played the game 10 times, San Francisco wins six of them. You know? So I, I don't think it's oh, – I wouldn't be shocked if Detroit wins the game. But if you're making me make a prediction right now, I'll, I'll go against you and say the Niners win. I will say this before we transition to the AFC Championship game. I do feel like Brock Purdy has reached sort of a Tim Tebow status. And obviously, he's not the player that he is. But you and I were hosting radio back then. And you remember that after every Tebow game, there were these extreme opinions every single time. Either he was the greatest thing that we had ever seen, or he stinks and he wasn't even an NFL player. I do feel like Brock Purdy isn't allowed some of the growing pains that other young players have. Like, C.J. Stroud was not good last week. But no one really holds that against him, where every performance from Brock Purdy, if he struggles, is just such an indictment on his ability that it feels like we talk about him differently than we talk about the other young QBs. Yeah, he's a he's a funny case. Like, I bet you Brock Purdy never thought he'd be part of the sports take industrial complex where he's like a polarizing figure in our national sports discourse. And he doesn't deserve it, but it's Mr. Irrelevant. It's the Niners. It's Kyle Shanahan. It's arguably the most talented roster, two through 53, in the NFL. They traded up to take Trey Lance after they decided that Jimmy Garoppolo wasn't good enough. Trey Lance blows up in their face. Brock Purdy comes in. The injury last year in the playoffs. Them not having a quarterback who could throw the ball forward. There's just a lot of like things that have happened that are in his immediate orbit that he's not directly responsible for but that he is a like supporting actor in the story that people just have a lot of opinions on. And like you say, C.J. Stroud, right? C.J. Stroud, though, is a rookie who elevated a team around him, right? Like he made Tank Dell and Nico Collins, guys who were picked, I think, 69th and 89th in the draft, respectively. You know, he's elevated them, whereas – and that's how it's supposed to be with great quarterbacks, right? We, get, we give uh, quarterbacks credit for elevating the play around them when it feels like the quarterback is being elevated by the guys around them, whether that's been Kirk Cousins in Minnesota or Ryan Tannehill with Derrick Henry in Tennessee, those guys get knocked for their abilities. 
And this is just the most extreme example I think that we've ever seen, given how good San Francisco is and where he was picked in the draft. I think it would even be different if he was a fourth-round pick like Dak Prescott, you know, but he was the last pick in the draft. And so it's just a real test for people. Like, is it is it a quarterback league or is it a team league? And so I just think people draw their lines in the sand on Purdy. Danny, you now have me looking at future odds whenever I'm talking about these games, and I'm looking at the future odds in San Francisco. They're still the favorite to win the Super Bowl. You can get them at plus 145, and you can get the Ravens at plus 190. That seems off to me. Baltimore, in my opinion, should be considered the favorite. Do you think Vegas has this right with San Francisco as still as the favorite to win the Super Bowl? So the whole reason that exists is because Vegas says, correctly that Buffalo has or excuse Buffalo Baltimore has a tougher path in the championship game than San Francisco does so if Kansas City beats Baltimore Baltimore can't win the Super Bowl obviously the same would be true for Detroit but San Francisco is a bigger favorite and Detroit doesn't have the pedigree and the gambling support that Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes have so it would be it'll be very interesting to see what the spread is if we get a rematch of Ravens Niners because the Ravens blew them out, but all year people have thought that the Niners were the best team in the NFL, which is crazy when you actually look at Baltimore's body of work with their offensive run, uh, their, their rushing offense, their defense and their record and margin of victory. Like they compare to the 85 bears and the 07 Patriots as an all pine team. We easily could be talking about a team right now, Carrington, that is undefeated. They have three losses in the regular season, all by single digits, all where they either led or were tied with two minutes left in the fourth quarter. So the Ravens are not being talked about or handicapped as a historic team, but their body of work absolutely suggests that they are. Right now, we're talking to Danny Parkins of 670 The Score in Chicago. Danny, this is where I'm torn in this game. I'm torn between what you just said about Baltimore. My belief that Baltimore is the better team. Like, it is hard to argue that Kansas City is the better team than the Baltimore Ravens. But on the other side, Patrick Mahomes has been an underdog in 11 games. The Chiefs are 8-3 and three straight up and 9-1-1 one and one against the spread. You and I have this belief. If you were going to give me Patrick Mahomes and the points, you take Patrick Mahomes every single time. This is as conflicted as I've been in a while for a Chiefs game on who I think is going to win because this is one of the few times that I think it's hard to argue that Kansas City is the better team than their opponent. Yep, I agree. I mean, listen, the Chiefs have the better quarterback, but the other guy's an MVP, a two-time MVP. Uh, The Chiefs have the better coach, but the other coach is a consensus top 10, borderline top five coach in the NFL. So even if you're better at coaching quarterback, there still is, like, the margin is as thin as it possibly can be for the Chiefs. Kelsey sitting out the last week of the regular season and looking fresher in the postseason is massive, but the Bills had backup linebackers out there. The Ravens have one of the best linebacker secondary duos in the NFL, not to mention the best overall defense in the league. So I do think Baltimore is better. I do think Baltimore deserves to be favored, and I can't bet against Mahomes as an underdog, but I think I'm just going to have props in this one, man, Like, because I also don't really love the Chiefs laying as few as they are. I think based on the actual talent on the field, 
the Chiefs should probably be closer to like a six-point underdog in this game, but they're not because of the respect that Mahomes gets, which is, of course, deserved. One thing that has really stood out to me watching the Chiefs over the playoffs and just following them so closely over the year is I don't really think that Kansas City is playing that drastically different than they were than the regular season. They have just honed in on what they are. Isaiah Pacheco has 39 carries in the first two games. They've pared down the offense. Some of that is just by injuries. No Kadarius Toney, no Sky Moore. So there's fewer mouths to feed. This defense has been consistent all year. They're the second-best defense in the NFL when you look at the numbers. I don't look at Kansas City as maybe being as drastically different. I mean, they still had their red zone issues against the Buffalo Bills. But this team, to me, has sort of figured out their formula and how this year's team can win, and that helped them dominate the game against Miami, and it helped them win on the road last week against Buffalo. Yeah, their offense, to me, and you are watching like it closer in terms of comparing these playoff performances to the regular season, right? Like, I obviously watch the playoff game every snap of it and have followed it and read it and watched a ton of Chiefs games this year start to finish because they're on national TV every damn week. But – what it, it, it seems to me that they're, they're more balanced. Kelsey is fresher. Pacheco's contributing. Rasheed Rice seems to be as locked in with Mahomes as he's been at any point in his career. It's not a Kelsey level. It's not a Tyreek Hill level. But he seems to be uh, on the same page consistently with his quarterback, which is massive. And they're just executing to the point of efficiency, man. Like, yeah, the red zone stuff, they're settling for too many field goals. But there's – I mean, what was – did they score every drive, like the six of the first seven drives or something like that last week? You know what I mean? Like drove right down the field against Miami. Just they, – they're not getting a ton of opportunities, but they are largely putting points on the board every time they touch the ball. And that does feel like the Chiefs of old. So I don't think they'll be shut out in this game. But I do think that Baltimore's defense is just a much bigger test than either Miami uh, or Buffalo was. I know people nationally get tired of hearing how great Patrick Mahomes is. But with the win last week, Mahomes has as many postseason wins as Roger Staubach, Brett Favre, and Ben Roethlisberger. If the Chiefs win on Sunday, he will be tied with Terry Bradshaw, John Elway, Steve Young, and Peyton Manning for the third most postseason wins all time. We are talking about a Michael Jordan-like postseason character. We're talking about Tiger Woods on Sunday in the Masters. We are talking about David Ortiz, bottom of the ninth for the Boston Red Sox. Like the all-time great clutch players, you have to have Mahomes in that conversation based off what we've seen so far. Yeah, I mean, there's no question. I, I, I made the Tiger comp with you last week or the week before, right? I stole it from you. Did you? Okay, no, I wasn't asking for credit, but like, <laughs> I, but I, but I, I, I'm just saying, I, I, like, I could go through the thing again. Like, everybody tried to make a rival for Tiger, and still ended up being like the people's champ rival because of personality and gambling and his success when Tiger wasn't out there. But it was never close to actually being a real rivalry, and I think that that's what's largely happening with Allen and Burrow and Lamar. Now we'll see if Lamar wins and has two MVPs and then beats him in an AFC championship game, and then wins the Super Bowl, you know, maybe he'll start to, you know, wedge his way into that conversation. But, yeah, man, I mean, if, he, if the Chiefs win the Super Bowl, he's third all-time in playoff wins behind Brady and Montana. Like, that's two away. He's, 20, right, he's 28 years old, and it's six seasons as a starter. It's completely ridiculous. He is going to have – he might not have as many rings as Brady, but – 
every other passing postseason record is very clearly going to be Patrick Mahomes'. So maybe he gets the rings, maybe he doesn't, but he'll 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 definitely add more rings to his fingers, and he will likely go down as the as the greatest uh, postseason quarterback of all time, minus the rings. I do have like two major quarterback points on this game, and it goes somewhat along with what you just said. I mean, if Patrick Mahomes wins this Super Bowl, he might really be Brady. This offense was 15th in the NFL over the course of the season, and if he can navigate this tournament, that AFC with those quarterbacks, and win this year's Super Bowl, he might actually really get to seven or eight of them. And then for Lamar, You and I both know this covering sports. You only got to do it one time for people to always believe that you can do it. Like we saw Russell Wilson win one championship and get to another one, and we put him basically in the Hall of Fame. If Lamar Jackson wins this game, no one will ever be able to say that you can't win with that style, that you can't go to the Super Bowl with that style, or that he's not a great postseason player. He really has to do it just one more game. Yeah, that is correct. Um, You know, it's funny, like, one more game is interesting, though, because Cam Newton went 15-1, and won an MVP, and lost in the Super Bowl, and I don't feel like people talk about Cam Newton in that way. So I don't know if it is just one more game for Lamar, but it is just one ring for Lamar, and obviously he'll have two MVPs and Cam only had one. Uh, and I also think for like the, the haterist of the haters, if the games play out similarly to last week where it's 150 passing yards, there will still be some who say, okay, it was amazing. It was a shooting star, but what's he going to be in his thirties? You know, is he, is it really a 15 year run, which is what Rogers and Brady and Manning and the truly elite passing quarterbacks were able to give their franchises and the NFL. So, It's an interesting premise that you suggest. I don't agree that it's just one more game for the full narrative, but that game last week helped him a ton. Like That is a four-touchdown game, dual threat, uh, an efficiency level that we've never seen before in terms of running and passing with that touchdown production in playoff history. So I do think Lamar is answering a ton of the questions, but as you know, uh, the sports take industrial complex does have a tendency to move the goalposts on people. Last thing here, who are you picking in this game? Like I said, man, I don't really want to bet it, but my my heart is with the Chiefs and my head is with the Ravens. So if you want to assign my pick to the heart, I'll tell you the Chiefs are going to win. If you want to say it with my head, uh, the Ravens are going to win. How I normally do these things though is like, like all right there's 10 grand in cash on the ground you get to pick it up if you're right i would say the ravens are going to win the game so let's say that we had to do a power ranking of people that do the same job that you and i have like number one you might put like scott van pelt like number two you might put Stephen a pat mcafee tomorrow we have nick wright and we have christopher mad dog russo joining the show who is higher on the list today mad dog or nick nick I mean, listen, Mad Dog's a goat. He's in the Hall of Fame. He's one of the most influential people ever. But Nick is the smartest, most talented, most compelling figure in sports opinion going right now. He's not the most popular. You know, and McAfee's got a bigger following. Stephen A. has a bigger following. But day in and day out, who is doing the best content in sports media right now, in my very biased opinion, and is my best friend, Nick Wright.
That is my guy, Danny Parkins of 670 The Score in Chicago. Danny, you're like an appetizer to Nick and Mad Dog Russo today. You know what I mean? Like, like we got you batting leadoff, and then tomorrow we got two heavy hitters following you up. If I've got to be the undercard to those two dudes, uh, I'm still on the card. It's still, it's still pretty damn good. And you know me. I obviously think that my game is very strong and that I can compete with them day in and day out. But uh, that's, a, that's a great job by you for uh, the Friday before Championship Sunday. Good stuff, man. That's Danny Parkins of 670 Chicago. Park Park, man, appreciate you. Anytime, buddy. That's our guy, Danny Parkins, joining us on the show today. Who do you think is bigger, Rob, between Nick and Mad Dog Russo? Like the bigger get for the show? Just in gen- like if you were doing a power ranking of sports media personalities, who do you think is higher up on the list? Because having the Wednesday, it feels like every week, Mad Dog's not on first take for very often, but he goes viral almost every single time that he's on there saying or doing something. I think it's still Nick. I think Mad. I think Danny's right. Mad Dog's in the Hall of Fame. Mad Dog might be the best to ever have done it, but you can't do it just once a week and still be considered top tier. That's like... You know, Tiger's no longer the best golfer on earth. He still goes to the majors. He's still going to play the Masters, but is anyone going to pick him? No, but that doesn't mean he's not great. He's not the best right now. So I take Nick. Coming up on the other side, we're actually going to be joined by our guy, Sean Barber. Barbershop wants to come in for the 5 o'clock hour and the hits. We got you covered getting ready for the AFC Championship game. Keep it right here. It's the drive. You're listening to The Drive with Carrington Harrison, brought to you by Deep Esqually Moore. Car, truck, or motorcycle wreck? Remember, Mike's got this on your official broadcast partner of the Kansas City Chiefs, 610 Sports Radio. Your home for Chiefs football in Kansas City is 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. I want to read a couple of text messages that we have right here. And I understand that this could be the vocal minority, but I think it's an important conversation to have about the Baltimore Ravens and the pending, I think it's probably the correct way to say it, NFL MVP. The texter sent in, Hey, CDOT, you guys still haven't analyzed the Ravens on a real level. List a quarterback that they've played this season. The only good one that they've gone up against was Stafford, and they scored. This team is no different from the Eagles last year. They're the exact same team. I think we can look at this through both sides of the coin here. If you are not worried about this game because Kansas City has a history and a track record of going up against top-ranked defenses and scoring – I think that is a more than fair stance to have. If you are picking the Chiefs because you trust Patrick Mahomes, you trust Andy Reid, and you have heard this same rhetoric against Buffalo, you've heard this same rhetoric last year against Philadelphia, and the Chiefs have usually figured out a way to score on those teams, I think that that's fair. But I don't think, number one, that you can poke holes in a team's resume at this point in the season. There's three football games left. I also don't know if you can do that against a team that in the regular season went six and two in games against playoff teams. And they beat both teams in the NFC championship game and didn't just beat them. They won by double digits in both of the and beating both of the teams that played in the NFC championship game. You guys know I am all for the schedule game. 
you just don't make it to the one seed in the AFC and get to host the AFC championship game if you weren't tested along the way. I believe this season that the Ravens beat, I think the number was 10 teams that finished above 500 this year. There are some teams that you could have certainly poked holes in and you ask, hey, who did they beat? Who did they play? I don't know if that is a very fair critique for the Ravens. I don't think there's any reason for if you're a Chiefs fan to be afraid of the Ravens heading into this game. I know that they were the number one scoring offense and scoring defense, but you have slayed many a dragons over the last couple of years. And you have maybe the greatest football player that we have ever seen. You don't have to go into any game feeling like you were at a disadvantage or feel like you were the underdog or counted out in this. But I also don't think it's necessary to poke holes at how good Baltimore was over the course of the season. And now Baltimore has to answer the question that most teams have to reach at some point to be the man. You got to beat the man, right? That's where Baltimore is in their schedule. Baltimore has won every game this season. That was super important. There's two left that are super important. And if they close this thing out, we will talk about the Ravens as if they're one of the better Super Bowl champions over the last couple of years. People will ask the question this offseason if they caught up to the Kansas City Chiefs. You guys have gone through this song and dance before. Or if Kansas City wins this, people will talk about Patrick Mahomes like he is on the pathway of catching Tom Brady, which he will have three Super Bowls and he is four behind. He is still a long way to go, but it will not be a crazy conversation if people nationally are talking about the chiefs and Hey, like I know we keep comparing them to the Patriots. They really are the Patriots. There will be no more arguing the dynasty conversation. If the chiefs win this year's super bowl, not from anybody. I don't care what hypothetical, what imaginary lines that you can color in the chiefs have done that. If you go to six straight AFC championship games, you win in four of those games. You win three of the last, what, five Super Bowls, and your quarterback has won two MVPs during that time, and you have won your division every year. You are a dynasty. I don't care what qualifications you want to throw out there. These are two really, really good football teams that are playing in this game. You have one team that has been historically good in the Kansas City Chiefs and a team that is trying to close out an all-time regular season. We've seen teams like this before, whether it's Kansas City, the Patriots have been this team, the Cowboys have been this team, teams that play at an all-time historic level, and we've seen teams like this Ravens team that they were the flavor of the month in the regular season. Carolina was this. You guys remember, Carolina went, what, 15-1 and that year? Cam Newton was doing the dab, and then they played the Broncos in the Super Bowl. That Broncos team, remember that offense that just scored a whole bunch of points, and then they played Seattle in the Super Bowl and got their doors blown off. This is just the new version of one of those teams. You got to close it out. You got to finish it out. Or people will look back on this year is you didn't maximize your full potential if you're the Ravens. I think one difference between the Ravens now and the Eagles Super Bowl game last year to the Texter's point is I can only speak for this show. We poked holes in the Eagles resume pretty easily last year. They were a little bit paper tigerish. They were not the best team in their division. So they played a second place schedule and they feasted on bad NFC quarterbacks. They really struck. They, they didn't even face Aaron Rodgers at the time was a Packer. They faced Jordan love, not the Jordan love we saw this year, but arrowhead Jordan love. There were easy flaws, easy moments to poke holes in the Eagles resume. 
it is very difficult to poke holes in the Ravens resume. That doesn't mean they're going to win on Sunday. That doesn't mean the chiefs can't do anything. That doesn't mean anything, but the Ravens statistically are near airtight resume wise. Not only the stats you laid out, do you know, they lead the NFL in strength of schedule. They had the hardest schedule in the NFL. If you'll remember back before the chiefs fell out of the one seed race, we were having conversations on this show about the Chiefs can get the one seed. And one thing that was a common sentiment between me, you, the text line, guess everyone is we think the Ravens will fall off because their final four games are the toughest in the NFL. You assume you're going to take a loss or two in that gauntlet. They went 3-0. and I'm not counting the Week 18 game where they didn't play their real players against the Steelers. They went undefeated in that gauntlet throttled Miami at home, went on the road and handled business against the Niners, beat a good Rams team at home. They took care of business. So I think just purely resume-wise, saying last year's Eagles or this year's Ravens is a little unfair to this year's Ravens because their resume is far superior. Yeah, I think this Ravens team, in terms of everything that you can do heading into you know the final game of the AFC playoffs, they have checked off every single box. They won the most competitive division this year. There were three teams that made the playoffs from their division. They won that division. They won their first playoff game pretty comfortably and blew out a team that a lot of people liked Houston. That was a popular upset pick last week. CJ Stroud going in there. Lamar can't perform in the postseason. They have completed, I would say, 85% of the journey. This 15% left of the journey, as Chiefs fans know, is the absolute hardest part to get over. Again, we've seen a lot of teams like this Ravens team, really good in the regular season. When we were growing up, the Minnesota Vikings, remember that Vikings team that had Randy Moss and Chris Carter and Jake Reed and they had Randall Cunningham. That Vikings team was really, really good. Well, they missed a couple of field goals in the NFC Championship game, and well, what do you know? The Atlanta Falcons end up going to the Super Bowl. This could be that year from the Baltimore Ravens. Like, they're like steps that you got to check off. If you're Kansas City, you obviously know about those steps. You got to the AFC Championship game, and you ran against the New England Patriots. You played pretty well for the most part. Scored a whole lot of points. It was at home. Man, the other team just had Tom Brady. You know, the other team just had Brady. That has been the only quarterback that can consistently beat Patrick Mahomes in the postseason has been Tom Brady. This is now that test for the Ravens to see if they can get over the Kansas City Chiefs. Or if you were the Chiefs, I look at this as stealing one. This is not one that Kansas City is supposed to get. Not this year, not with this offense. Not when you were 17th in points scored this year. This is not the one that you were supposed to get. If you let Patrick Mahomes get this one, And next year, they are going to be better offensively. I say that without having any clue who the Chiefs are going to add on their team or who they they are going to bring back. They could go sign Michael Pittman. They could go sign T. Higgins. They could could move up in the draft and go get a top-flight wide receiver. They are not going to be outside the top 10 offensively. They will make sure of it next year. And that offense is going to resemble much more of the Chiefs teams that we are used to. Now, we'll see if they can maintain this on offense, but they got a lot of young pieces. I believe I heard a stat that out of the 21 players that played the most on defense this year for Kansas City, 17 of them are players that you drafted. 17. You got a whole nother draft. Now, we have to see what happens with Chris Jones. We'll see what happened with Snead. You got offseason decisions like every team in the National Football League. But the Chiefs have shown an ability to stockpile this thing 
And I'm pretty confident that Kansas City will be back in this game, if not next year, the year after. This is going to be a staple. The same way that the Patriots consistently made it to this round of the postseason, we have a new version of the Patriots, and they play in Kansas City. Coming up on the other side, we'll get through the hits, and we'll also be joined in studio by Sean Barber, getting you ready for the AFC Championship game between the Chiefs and the Ravens. That's coming up. Keep it right here. So drive. Congratulations on getting through your 9 to 5. Thank you so much for listening. It is The Drive on 6th and Sports Radio, 6thandsports.com, and the Odyssey app. My name is Karenson Harrison. Excited to be here. Rob is here as well, taking you up until 6 o'clock. Our guy, uh, Sean Barber, is going to join us in studio coming up in about 10, 15 minutes and sit in with us for the remainder of the hour to get you ready for the AFC Championship game. Someone just texted in, Barbershop is going to make me feel good about the Chiefs heading into the game. We know that to be the case. I'd be surprised if Barbershop had Baltimore scoring in this game. I'm sure that Baltimore, I'm sure that our guy Barbershop is going to have this being a Chiefs 70 Baltimore zero win. No, I am. Uh, I'm very, very confident that Barbershop is going to be also very, very confident that Kansas City Chiefs are going to dominate this game coming up in a couple of days. This is what I would like to start today's show with. The hits. I I think that both of these quarterbacks have two very unique storylines heading into this game. If you are Patrick Mahomes, I would say even more so than last year's Super Bowl, this is the one that no one counted you to get. I feel pretty confident in saying that Patrick Mahomes is going to win another Super Bowl, probably multiple Super Bowls by the time he is done. If you continue to find yourself in the AFC championship game, continue to give yourself opportunities to be the one seed, you eventually navigate this tournament. And in a tournament that is so predicated on quarterback and coaching, you have the best coach in the tournament and the best quarterback. I also think that this is a season that even for me, I think people needed I don't know if there is reason to be super worried about the Chiefs in week 12 or week 13 anymore. This offense was disappointing. If you go from first in the NFL in scoring last year to 17th in scoring this year, you took a substantial step back this season. We have had frustrations, whether at times it's been about the offensive line, their commitment to running the football, the wide receivers, Travis Kelsey was banged up. Something has gone wrong for the Chiefs offense for basically the whole year. I don't know how they've done it, but they have got to the postseason and they have figured things out. They scored 26 points against the Dolphins. They scored 27 points last week against the Bills. And that is certainly enough for you to win a Super Bowl, especially with the defense that they have. They figured it out. Despite all the problems at wide receiver, despite the problems that we have seen with both the left and the right tackle, despite the injuries, they have overcome all of these things to find themselves in the exact same spot that they have always been. It was a very roundabout way of getting there. You took the long route. Last year was a little less stressful than this year. A couple of years ago, a little less stressful than this year. This year certainly has had its stress. It is at its up and down. The Chiefs did not play consistent football for basically two months. 
Since the bye week, it has been win one, lose one, inconsistent, lost to Green Bay, lost to Philadelphia, got beat by the Las Vegas Raiders on Christmas. They have not had an easy ride to get to this point. Yet again, they have found themselves in the exact same place. If Patrick Mahomes wins this Super Bowl, it will be the most improbable one that he has had so far. You maybe didn't think that they were going to get that first one as quickly as they did after going to the AFC championship game, but you knew that the Chiefs were building something special. In 2020, I think it was very obvious that the Chiefs were the best team in the National Football League. They ran through that team. If the Chiefs beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, we talk about them as one of the great teams in the history of the National Football League. That's how much better they were than everybody else. How they ran through the regular season, they ran through the postseason. They were one game away from being up there, one of the great teams that we have seen. Last year's team, there were certainly questions at the early part without having Tyree kill, but they answered those questions. If he takes this offense to the Super Bowl, it is one of the most improbable runs that we have seen. I don't think people are going to give him that credit because it's the Chiefs, because it's Patrick Mahomes, but you were taking an offense who does not have a number two wide receiver. Last year's offense had way more weapons and was so much more well-rounded than this team. If you can figure out a way to do it with this team, we can never count out any team that they give you the rest of the way moving forward. And I think there already is a legend. There already is a glow and aura around Patrick Mahomes. He's him. There's no one denying that. He's him. People deny it with Josh Allen. People deny it with Lamar Jackson. No one denies it with Patrick Mahomes. He's different than everybody else. They know that. If you get this Super Bowl and you take this team, the story that you have, and building an argument of why you are the greatest quarterback of all time. The legend just continues to grow. If you're Lamar, on the flip side, there certainly are a lot of people that have questions about Lamar Jackson, his ability to win this game. If you have two postseason wins, and those wins come against teams who are quarterbacked by Ryan Tannehill and C.J. Stroud, I understand if you are skeptical about Lamar coming into this game. It makes all the sense in the world, especially against a defense as deep and as talented as Kansas City's. And your belief that Spags is going to figure out a way to slow down that quarterback, whether it is limiting his ability to throw toward the middle of the field, taking away Zay Flowers, taking away the big play down the field from Nelson Aguilar, Odell Beckham, whether it's limiting the run game and forcing him to stay in the pocket, you feel pretty confident that Spags is going to come up with something and it's going to be up to Lamar and Todd Munkin, their new offensive coordinator, to be able to figure something out. But I will say this about Lamar. You are one game away from people never being able to say those things about you again. You can't question if Lamar can win the big game or not if you beat Patrick Mahomes in the AFC championship game. You can't question if Lamar can guide his team if you can win it. It's going to be very difficult to have those questions and have those conversations around Lamar Jackson if they are able to win. This is the biggest roadblock that you are going to have in the AFC for the foreseeable future. And if you want to do anything that's meaningful, if you want to do something where you get a cool T-shirt at the end or you get to take a trip to somewhere really, really cool like New Orleans or Vegas or wherever the Super Bowl is going to be, it requires you to win this game. It was always going to end this way for Baltimore. If you had the regular season that they had, 
where you blew out Miami and you blew out Detroit and you blew out San Francisco, you were not going to get off the hook by playing Buffalo in the AFC championship game. You were not going to get off the hook by having to beat Cincinnati. Those teams were not going to be able to do your dirty work, so to speak. You were going to have to be the team that eliminates the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. And we will see on Sunday if the Ravens are qualified to do that. The Ravens have, for the most part, accomplished every challenge that they have had so far this season. But playing Brock Purdy on the road in Christmas is a lot different than playing playoff Patrick Mahomes. Playing Matthew Stafford in a game in November is much different than what you are about to go up against. This is a Kansas City Chiefs team that I think has locked in on the offensive side. They are playing their best football on offense. We know about their defense, and their quarterback is playing the the best version of himself with this individual team. This is by far and away the most difficult test that the Ravens are going to have this season, even more difficult than whoever they play in the Super Bowl, in my opinion. I mean... We talked about it in the last segment. The Ravens' resume is as airtight as anyone the Chiefs have faced. And I know I got some pushback yesterday in the text line from people like, duh, Captain Obvious. But I would say the Ravens are the best team the Chiefs have faced this season and easily the best team the Chiefs have faced in the postseason. The postseason opponents the Chiefs have faced this year, let's be honest about it, you could kind of poke holes in what they were. You called the Dolphins a paper tiger. Actually, you called them a fraud, if I'm going to do that exact terminology. Both. I didn't like them at all. You, were, you put them on fraud watch. The Bills, let's be honest, were battling injuries throughout the week on a short week. There were questions going into that game. There are no questions with the Ravens. The Ravens have done and answered every question successfully this season. They have one major question left. Can they overcome the hurdle that is Patrick Mahomes? And if they can overcome Patrick Mahomes, we're going to talk about them and Lamar differently. But overcoming Patrick Mahomes is one of those easier said than done things because overcoming Mahomes doesn't really happen all that often in the postseason. It's been done by what? Brady Burrow? End of list? Like, that is not something that just happens every day. So... The Ravens are a diff- difficult task. I'm curious that the Chiefs are up for it, and I'm curious that the Ravens are up for it on the other side. And, I mean, in order to beat Kansas City in the postseason with Patrick Mahomes, it is either required you to have the greatest quarterback in the history of the National Football League or Patrick Mahomes plays the worst half of football that we've seen since he has taken over as the quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs. It is usually required one of those two extremes in order to win. Earlier, we had on Tim Barbalace, who is the Ravens insider for 105.3 The Fan out in Baltimore, and Sean Barber is going to join us here coming up in a bit. We asked him about the concept of forcing Lamar to be a passer, and if that's the key to beating the Ravens, here's what he said. I just don't know if that's necessarily a fair statement anymore. I mean, we've seen Lamar take over games with his arm, and, and it's so much easier said than done trying to keep that guy inside the pocket because he just makes something out of nothing. And you go back to that Jacksonville game. It was on Sunday Night Football a, a few weeks back, and Lamar's running all around. He ends up throwing up a pass. A defensive lineman knocks him down. Isaiah likely comes up with the pass. And the defensive lineman's like, what the hell? Like, how? <laughs> like, we did everything perfect on this play, and you still give up a chunk play. And, and that's what's so difficult. I mean, offensively, look, uh, the running backs, they've been banged up. J.K. Dobbins, done for the year. Keaton Mitchell, done for the year. I think if you stop the running backs and you slow them down and have 
to put more on Lamar Jackson's plate, I think that might be a good course of action. We're going to be joined by Sean Barber here coming up in a bit. I want to give you guys a statistic about the Ravens and the uh, concept of forcing Lamar to be a passer. In his career, including the playoffs, when Lamar Jackson has thrown 29 or fewer passes, the Ravens are 43-10. and 10. When Lamar Jackson has thrown 30 or more passes in a game, the Ravens are 17-12 and 12 in those games. The key to beating Baltimore has been force them into a passing offense, which is something they don't want to be. This year they were 30th in the NFL at pass attempts. And you got to try to limit and maintain the run game. You know they want to run the game, uh, run the ball. Now, can you take advantage early in this game and not start slow? This is not a game that Kansas City can start slow. If they start slow and they're down 10 to nothing and you allow that Ravens team to build on the run game and run the football, it could be a very, very long day for Kansas City. But that is the number 43 and 10 on 29 and fewer passes, 17 and 12 when he throws the ball more than 30 times. If it has turned into a high volume passing game, the Ravens, for the most part, have been incredibly average when doing so. Let me look to my right, and we are joined by Sean Barber today on the show. Barbershop, I want to read to you two text messages that we have. Someone said, Barbershop is going to make me feel so good about the Chiefs heading into this game. And someone else said, I'm glad to hear Barbershop's positivity. Nate Taylor and Mitchell Schwartz didn't provide me with a lot of confidence. The floor is yours, Barbershop. I don't even need to ask you a question. I know you got the Chiefs winning this game 70 to nothing. I know you got Lamar throwing for 15 yards. He doesn't run. The Chiefs defense is attack. They're positive. I already know. I'm just going to give you the floor, my friend. And I mean, come on, see that that's that's so far from the truth. Um, I know you think I see things through a Chiefs colored glasses or like a Chief filter, or they get the you know Kansas City Chiefs bump as far as all the uh, my my estimations of what's going to happen on game day. I'm just honestly looking at the film, man. I watch the film, I watch the tape, I break down film. Um, I also look through social media. I look at some of the uh, the Ravens mic'd up. I would I would I would suggest any. Chiefs fan that wants to be a little bit more uh, involved and a little bit more um, maybe, you know, just just work on their um, their knowledge, the overall knowledge of our opponent. Um, go ahead and look at – they got on YouTube, mic'd up, right? It's a, it's a very – it's a 45-minute long uh, mic'd up on Raekwon Smith, um, and it goes into them preparing the week of preparation for the Texans. And it shows a lot of behind-the-scenes things that I think on a competitive nature I find very interesting. I, I, I don't know if that is the demeanor that I would expect of a team preparing to play in the AFC championship game. The, 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 the demeanor and the, the, the way they went about their business to prepare themselves for the Texans. I'm almost hoping that's the way they prepare against us. Uh, because I think they're going to be in for a, a really big shock uh, come Sunday if if, if that was the mindset and mentality of the, of the athletes and the players as they prepared for the game week. Barbershop, I think this is the perfect way to start our conversation. I'm sure you have been in this situation before. You played during the same era as Michael Vick. How do you contain a running back as mobile as Lamar? Because it's not just the scripted runs. Last week, they only called four design runs for Lamar. Now, they went for 52 yards, but there were not a lot of design runs. A lot of them were off script. A lot of them are Lamar just makes the decision, hey, I'm going to take off and I'm going to make a guy miss. He ran for over 100 yards in this game. How do you contain the running game of Baltimore 
when we're talking about the quarterback and containing Lamar Jackson. Yeah, so if you look at the numbers from last week, he had 11 carries. So if only four of them was scripted, that means the other seven were scrambles or unscripted. I mean, that's the majority of them. That's, 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 you know, that's twice the amount of the scripted ones. So um, at the end of the day, man, a, a, a rushing quarterback, a scrambling quarterback, a quarterback that is that dangerous through his legs, there, there is no defensive scheme. There is no schematic way to stop somebody that athletic. And I know everybody was worried about, is Willie Gay going to be available? Is, you know, is, is, is Tranquil fast enough? Is Leo Chenault, is that, you know, maybe it worked against Buffalo, but maybe this is a different, uh, different beast of a quarterback to kind of deal with. Lamar might be one of the top 10 most athletic overall athletes in the NFL, not just quarterback. I mean, you know, obviously from quarterback position, he's one of the top two. But beyond that, um, I mean, he's just a very elusive runner with the ball. Now, the, the thing you can hope to happen is um, you can invite that a couple times when you when you know what you can do defensively. Um, if you spike, which means take the end from the outside nine technique and spike him into a C gap, spike him into the B gap. Sometimes spiking a player from the outside in causes the quarterback to uh, prematurely bubble or escape to a certain side. So you can you can kind of uh, look at his numbers and his accuracy going to his right, to his left, um, and you can promote for him to have to, you know, vacate the bubble a little bit earlier versus having him come straight up the field. I think that's the most dangerous, um, his escape route up the field when he's um, go through the A and B gaps and he's, you know, getting positive yardage. You want him to go sideline to sideline. Um, if you remember, the, you know, bringing up some bad memories, but if we remember the Super Bowl, that was a Super Bowl that Patrick Mahomes ran over 400 yards laterally to try to throw the ball um, against the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I think, when our offensive line was a little beat up. Uh, but that, that's, that's, that's kind of crazy. That's, kinda, that's, a, that's a, a very large amount of yardage to be uh, run around at to try to get the ball to move just 10 yards. If we can get him going laterally, sideways to sideways, you know, versus going up the field and attacking, that's one of the methods. Uh, but when it comes to the, the, the scheme, the run, the, the scripted plays, like you said, it's not many. It's only four or five of them a game. Um, and those are really like outliers. Those are unicorns. Defensively, you just don't s- scheme up how to have an extra hitter available for a, a, a quarterback naked rollout or a quarterback um, counter or those type of plays. Where do you think you can attack Baltimore as a team? I think you can run the ball against Baltimore. I think the game plan for both teams is very, very similar. Obviously, Kansas City is much more of a passing attack than what Baltimore is, but this is not a game to me that Isaiah Pacheco can have 11 carries for 47 yards. Like He has to be a focal point of this offense and of this team. He has to touch the ball 15 to 20 times. He has to have 75, 80 yards or more rushing be involved in the passing game. Isaiah Pacheco is a major part of what they're doing offensively and why I think their offense is found a little bit more consistency when you were watching the Ravens on film how do you think you attack this team I mean you talk about attacking the team you're talking about how you know how is our offense going to attack their defense um they're pretty balanced across the board they got you know great athletes up front they got guys that penetrate and poke the pocket they got you know two linebackers that are probably um I don't know about you know San Fran got a got a pair of linebackers are pretty good too with Greenlaw um, and Warners, um, so I don't I don't know if I if I say that they are better than those two, uh, but they are definitely in the conversation with being as good as those two. Um, other than that, on the back end, um, you know Kyle Hamilton is a safety nickel slash. He's a you know one of these Darwin James type weapons in the back end that 
can do everything. Did you like him coming out of college? Because I know you're big on the draft. I know you got your sheet. Were you a Kyle <laughs> Hamilton guy? Was, I liked Kyle Hamilton was, coming out of Notre Dame. Yeah, I didn't know your name. He was high on my boy just because of his wingspan and obviously his athleticism at that, at that size is very unique. Um, now, we, we say how unique he was, but there are 20 other systems that he could have went to and failed. Like, like he ended up in the perfect scenario in the perfect defense that are now almost custom-making pressures and different things about their defense to, to fit the fact that what he does really well. Um, now, he could have went to a defense where they, they, they just put him at safety and told him he's going to be a two-high safety or single-high safety, and he probably would have struggled uh, when it comes to, you know, really that top-end speed and tracking the ball and going against some of the top passers in the league. Uh, but no, he he found a great home in 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 Baltimore, and that defense is is made for somebody with those kind of skill sets. Right now, we're joined in studio by our guy Sean Barber joining us on the show today. I don't really think that Kansas City is that much different than they were in the regular season. I'm curious what you're seeing with this team. I just think that they have pared down the offense. I always felt during the course of the regular season, there would be six to eight times that they would try to get Kadarius Toney involved or try to get Sky Moore involved. You have now taken those opportunities away from the offense that for the most part were just negative plays over the course of the season. Mm -hmm. They've really leaned into Isaiah Pacheco. They've really started to display Rasheed Rice. And Travis Kelsey appears to be as fresh as we've seen him in the last, like, 12 weeks or something. This is the same Chiefs team to me. They are protecting the ball a little bit better and they're utilizing their playmakers a little bit better. Yeah, what, what, what you what you could you could you give some uh kudos or some flowers to Andy Reid and his coaching staff that maybe this is the process that they had planned all along? Could you could you for a second believe that this is the growth, this is the process, these are the steps you know, gonna... I will give them kudos for this. I will give them kudos for in the last game. Now, I'm going to guess this has not happened very often in Andy Reid's career. They had more rush attempts than pass attempts. That was the style to win. I think some of what happened by the wide receiver room is they were pretty stubborn. But you can't use Kadarius Tony if he's not healthy. You can't use Scott Moore if he's on the injured reserve list. I think some of what happened with the wide receiver room is it got pared down by their own. All right, hey, this is this. You can't use these options anymore. I give them credit for they have finally started treating the role players like role players. Against the Philadelphia Eagles, they gave Justin Watson 11 targets. They have not thrown it to him 11 times since the game since then. They threw it to him one time. He dropped it. We ain't throwing you the ball anymore. I'm happy that they have learned from the mistakes that they made through the first 17 weeks, and they are not making them in the postseason. So I do give them a lot of credit for that. That is what most people call growth. It is growth. Maturity. Right? I'm Gro- growth and maturity. I'm on their side. I mean, again, how would you ever know what the capacity of a receiver to really bloom if you don't ever feature, if you don't ever make a guy a feature and you don't feature plays, you don't design a set of plays to really, like, let's see what this guy can do. And you don't give him that chance to do it on Sunday, on game day. Then you, you, you have a bunch of doubt. You have a guy that looks great on a practice field, but you never know if he can do it on game day. The one thing about the Chiefs is I think that they are – a hundred percent sure about every individual on that team, their strengths, their weaknesses, all of their abilities, capabilities, who can wear the green dot, who can't, who can fill in at the nickel, the dime, who can play outside corner, who can move in. Like there's, there's a lot of trial and error during the regular season. Now, as a fan of the team, we would, we would love to 
feel like our Chiefs are going out there and playing their best 11 on every snap to see if we can win a ball game to get the best record so that we can ensure home field advantage all through the playoffs, and we try to do that each and every year. But unfortunately, that does not lead to growing and developing the young talent. And so there comes a a time, a season of life, where you got to just, hey, Pat, Mr. Patrick Mahomes, for the first few games of the season, I want you to throw this ball all around the yard. I want you to, I want we, we're going to throw it to everybody running different routes. We're going to have guys running deep and comebacks and shallows and uh, dig-ins and seven routes. Like all the route concepts, we want everybody to be interchanged. It's going to be very tough on you because you're going to have different receivers running different at different speeds, and you're going to have to, like, in a moment's notice, realize this guy's, you know. Can't catch. No. no, I mean that guy. This guy can't catch. That's what they. That's what they started realizing. This guy can't catch. Stop throwing it to him. Stop having him run those routes. He doesn't catch really? those passes. That's, I mean, that's what happened a lot. I mean, this team led the NFL in drops. Is that what I think? What honestly happened? Do you know what I was saying? Do you understand what I was yeah, saying? No, before? I definitely get what you, you were saying. Do you think I was saying can't catch? Do you? Do you? I really think you. Think, were, I think you were looking for the word, and I just I added the words in there. That for was you. not the word I was. I looking added for. them in there, but I, I do think though. I think maybe Gross. what made people uncomfortable, and it made me uncomfortable at times. But I didn't really waver that much off Kansas City, and that they could get to this point was they about, never really. Rob, about the producer? Rob's been off for three months. <laughs> I don't, I'm done talking to Rob about it. I mean, this team usually you kind of expect after the bye week. Oh. No, normally, historically, they after, normally turn right? it on after the bye week. And this time they didn't turn it on after the well, bye week. They they lost to Philly. They lost to Green Bay and Buffalo. And then they were embarrassing on Christmas against Vegas. And then I, I don't know what it was. Maybe because it was so cold outside that it forced them to give the ball to Pacheco. And, hey, you guys couldn't catch when it was warm outside. So why would we throw it to you when it's negative 15 degrees outside? But something happened to the Chiefs in that game against the Miami Dolphins. And they just took that same recipe. They were not perfect against Buffalo. I mean, that team still wasn't great in the red zone. They had a fumble in the red zone. They still made their mistakes, but they stuck to their formula. Isaiah Pacheco, Rasheed Rice, Travis Kelsey, play good defense. Don't make too many turnovers. And you can beat any team in the National Football League. And that's what they did. Well, I'm going to say that maybe the internally after training camp, just possibly the Chiefs understood that that was going to be the recipe for success. And unlike everybody else that wants to see it every week to prove it to yourself, once the people in the building knows what the recipe for success is, there isn't a rule that says I have to show everybody every week all of my best plays, all of my best uh, motions, and, and, and all, all schematically throughout 18 weeks of the season. I want to make sure to show everybody everything I do well so that y'all can practice against it all year long to make it tougher on me in the playoffs. I would rather believe that during the practice that is closed to the public, that they are actually working on things, working on a whole bunch of things, new motions, new, new schemes, new you know, things that we haven't seen yet, so that when it comes to the playoffs, if we are surprised by Travis Kelsey on the bubble, you know, on the three-man surface, scoring a touchdown, two short out routes with Travis Kelsey on the seven route behind him for a touchdown – Travis Kelsey coming out the backfield for a seven. Like, we have never seen those during the season. But but somehow they they worked on them and got them ready for the playoffs. And so I would like to believe, like, there's a whole lot of that. There's a whole playbook of that that is being sprinkled in and used just when you need to use it, just enough to show other teams enough to start to have them practice and worry about it. And that's what makes a team really great. 
is that I'm able to run the ball even when you know I'm going to run it. I can throw it to Kelsey even though you know he's going to get the ball in the red zone, get him touchdowns even when you know it's coming to him. And defensively, you have certain constraints on the defense. that Even when you know it's coming, you can't just abandon your responsibility to go cover it. you got to do what you got to do. And we take advantage of that over and over and over again every year. But yet during the season, i got to come on here and deliberate with you and discuss and you debate. Was, you was hyping Sky Moore during the regular season. I still like Sky Moore. I think Sky Moore is going to be a good receiver for this organization. He gets playing time because he's showing him something on the practice field. Now he got injured. He got hurt. So he got put on IR. Okay, that's the end of his 2023 I mean, I, season. You know what? I, I, I'll be a believer in Sky Moore next year when he's their fourth wide receiver. When they go spend some money in free agency and then draft someone better than him, yeah, he'll be their number four wide receiver. So next year when he has 475 yards, like, hey, he was really good this year. Yeah. He yeah, was I, as their fourth wide receiver. He was fine. I don't. I don't think the Chiefs gonna be really active. And I mean, that, that might piss a lot of people off that listen. But I don't think we're gonna be really active in the wide receiver market. Um, I think the price tag for wide receivers has gone like sky high, crazy. And I think when everybody else goes out and overspends, is when you should be really cheap and just invest internally on the players we want to keep. And then when it comes to the draft, if everybody's saying that eighteen wide receivers are going in the first round. Well, that means some great pass rushers, some great linebacks, great cornerbacks, uh, some great linemen, offensive linemen are going to be slid, slid down. And if teams want to reach for second and third round wide receivers just because it's a run on wide receivers, I would be the, that would be the worst uh, move that I think an organization with as much – with as brighter futures the Chiefs have. We, we don't have to – winners worry about winning. Losers worry about winners. And this organization is a winner. I think the Chiefs are going to go after, like, the MVS contract. Like, they're probably not going to be in the T. Higgins market because he's going to get, you know, four for 64 or something like that. I think they'll be in that, like, Adam Thielen, DeAndre Hopkins, MVS, where it's like a two-year deal, $22 million. Why do you keep bringing up Adam? What is it? You got something with Thielen? Is that, was he on your fantasy team or something like that? Adam Thielen had a good year. All year long, you've been just I thought he had a really good year. I can't help the fact that he had one of the bottom five quarterbacks in the league this year throwing him the ball. How about if Adam Thielen chose to go to the Panthers? No, he definitely chose to go. I mean, they paid him the most money. I No, I mean, I don't you know. Did, did you have a conversation with him? And he said, well, I'm, I'm going to go there because they paid me the most money. I mean, that's. I mean, you've been an NFL free agent. I assume if you went to Carolina, I assume they offered you more money than everybody else did. Maybe he wanted to get to Carolina. He'd been in Minnesota. I was like, you know what? Let me try something He went else. to go Some... to Carolina. That's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, he went there. He did go to Carolina. Right? He's, he's had a long career. He don't need the money. He ain't, he ain't out here like, you know what I'm saying, trying to pay bills and stuff. But, man, listen, we, we, we get all of these perceptions and our opinions wrapped up in what, why guys are making certain decisions, who's chasing rings, who's chasing contracts, who's doing X, Y, and Z. At the end of the day, there are some NFL players who actually want to live where they play, and sometimes that is a great – deterrent to not come to Kansas City, and sometimes that's a benefit. There, there's, there's a handful of players that probably want to come to the Midwest and be a part of what's going on here and be a part of what you called earlier uh, a dynasty in, in the making. So, I mean, it, it's, it comes with its pros and cons, but, I mean, like, everything ain't for everybody. And at the end of the day, you go out, you got to watch the film, you got to, you know, stick to your process, and you got to attach a certain price per year, price tag per year that you're willing to give a certain wide receiver or any position for their ability to come and be a part of your team. And once that price tag goes above that, you just got to move on. Stop living in the – like, Thielen ain't – I'm sorry. 
We were talking about next year. You said they weren't. I just said they were going to pay that kind of contract. Yeah. Now nah, I want Adam Thielen back. Yeah, I don't want do. Adam Thielen. I don't want Adam Thielen next year. No. But there's about I, you know who I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind Gabriel Davis next year. I think he. I think you get him on a real nice contract on a two year contract. Ask him to come here and be wide receiver number two. I'd be excited about that. We'll come back on the other side. We'll get back to the AFC Championship game. Barbershops here. The Drive with Carrington Harrison, brought to you by Deep Esquale Moore. Car, truck, or motorcycle wreck? Remember, Mike's got this on 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. Kansas City is Nick Bolton. Can I get a big old M-I-Z? You're listening to The Drive with Carrington Harrison on 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. Barbershop here. Barbershop, is there something that the Ravens do that really frighten you in this game, that worry you in this game. You know, there's some things I feel Kansas City is going to be able to do. Like, I'm not really worried about Zay Flowers having a really big game. I was really high on Zay Flowers. Liked him coming out of college. I thought he had a great rookie year. What, that what is school somebody, did he go to? Boston College. All right. Who what, can, what number was he in college? I don't remember that. Oh, okay. I didn't watch him that closely in Boston College. <laughs> I remember what number he was. I don't really think that he's going to have a big day. I don't really think that Odell's going to really have a big day. Maybe he has one big catch in this game. I mean, Diggs, you know, almost made one play, but Diggs didn't consistently hurt Kansas City. I feel pretty good about their ability to kind of limit their passing game in here. Is there something that you're kind of looking at with the Ravens that you're a little bit worried about heading into this matchup? I mean, it's not it's not anything special about the Ravens. It's just just in football, if you have really good tight ends and you can run the ball, that causes a little bit of conflict from the linebacker position. Do I attack my gaps, or do I stay in coverage a little bit with these tight ends? Uh, Isaiah Likely is a very uh, explosive uh, weapon. He's exploded on the scene since Andrew. It kind of makes me, I mean, obviously Andrews is really good himself, but, like, how, like why wasn't Isaiah Likely getting on the field before? I mean, why did Andrews have to get hurt for this young man to play? I mean, he's he's good, good. Like, he's good. I mean, and so he's been a, a, a you know heavily targeted, um, you know, finding multiple touchdown games at, at different times throughout the season. Um, but again, just that that combination between having a, a, the ability to be a downhill running team um, and then having tight ends that can like really uh, kind of stress the seams and do some things when it comes to your safeties and linebackers. Uh, that, that that's always going to be a problem uh, when you have those two con- uh, concepts that work uh, you know simultaneously in any offense. But I don't. I mean, other than that, I don't think there's any one thing. There's no. There's nothing. You know, there's no one position. I think it's just like, oh my goodness, the fact that they have these two edge rushers or these two linebackers or this cover guy or you know this 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 awesome X receiver that you can't stop. I mean, they that's just not them. Um, they stay in some funky personnels a lot with this Ricard. You know that that, that Ricard kid out there, and it, that caused some blocking. You know, some personnel things. Are you going to treat him like a tight end or a fullback or U-back or H-back? Like, he's kind of a, you know, he does a lot of different things. Uh, he goes out and catches passes. He blocks real well in, sp- in space. But uh, there, there are some things, I think, uh, just from a concept that I saw on film that I would definitely uh, be very aggressive. Uh, let me put it like that. I would be, a, I mean, I'm not going to say what down in distances the blitz and not bring pressure or go zero and everything, but I would be a very um, – aggressive-minded going into the game, coming out of the second half, I mean, pretty much the entire game. Uh, I'm not going to ever allow Lamar Jackson to be comfortable. I'm not going to allow him to sit back and then make a decision whether to run or not, scan the whole field, realize his man coverage, 
find the A or B gap to escape through and then, you know, be, be released on to my secondary and stuff. So I'm going to make sure that if he escapes, it's going to be the way we expect him to escape by bringing pressure up at the A and B gaps, up the middle, off the edge. I mean, bring it from as many ways as I need to, to make sure that he knows he has to get rid of that ball out of his hand um, versus just holding on to it, and uh, which makes everybody's job a lot harder. This is a very unique game, I would say, in terms of, like, breaking it down and the analysis of, like, let's say they were playing San Francisco. You know Christian McCaffrey, right? Like, could win Offensive Player of the Year. You know Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk. Like, they have guys that, hey, you know, Debo Samuel could have 100 yards in this game. Brandon Ayuk could have 100 yards. George Kittle, first-team All-Pro tight end. Like, he could have a really big day. Or there'd be certain guys on the defense. Like, hey, Bosa, he could beat you in this game. I don't really feel like Baltimore has that guy on their roster aside from their quarterback. It's just a really solid team. Like you're not worried about Justice Hill running 400 yards. You're not worried about Isaiah likely having 100 yards or Zay Flowers or they don't have that premier pass rusher or that corner that you feel like you need to stay away from. Of all the teams kind of remaining, they probably have the less star power of any of the four teams left. Well, I mean, again, man, I think everybody is good at this level. Um, yes, you have a little bit of difference between being good and being elite. Um, we have some elite players on our team, and you know, especially we talk about um, uh, McDuffie and Snead and um, Patrick Mahomes and Kelsey and Chris. Um, all those guys are just, I mean, they're just they're very special athletes. No matter what position they're playing, no matter what time of the game, they can all, like, they can, they can be game wreckers. Um, and so we have a handful of those. Um, obviously, Lamar is Lamar. He's a very unique individual. And then besides that, I mean, like you say, everybody just plays. They play their position. The, the the Ravens, to me, are maybe the most, I mean, from a – it's not a good thing either. But to be, the, to be so consistent throughout the season where each game they started the same exact way. They, you know, deliberately almost ignore the pass to – make it a, a ground game, ground and pound. They want to, you know, bully ball the offensive and defensive line. They want to make it a very uh, smash mouth type ball game. They don't like going sideline to sideline. They don't like getting tired. They want to just, you know, like, like run it right at me. You know, they want to challenge your manhood, see if you're, if you're willing to take the bait to run it right at them, um, which is their strength, right? Like they don't, they don't, they, they, they are not a deep team. Their starters are really good, and as long as no one gets hurt, then you, you, you know. But if you have to go beyond the starters, then you know you see a little bit—I mean, a little bit, a big drop off between their ones and twos. Luckily for them, they have not had uh, many serious injuries, um, um, like most teams in the NFL. So their starters have been able to play—I mean, pretty much the whole season. So, um, and that builds on the communication, that builds on the trust that you have by having the same voices out there. So, what I'm looking forward to seeing is what happens to the. What happens to this great, great football team when they're down 10, down 14 in the first half? Because this, all season long, they've never been down by more. They never went into the halftime by more than a three-point deficit. Twice this year, they went into halftime losing the ball game. Um, and I think it was against the Colts and then maybe against the Browns or something like that. So two times they um, end up you know, going in halftime losing – um, down by three, and they end up, um, I think at the end of the day, winning one and losing one or something like that. But just over 17 weeks of football to start off that consistent, that, you know, like I said, the defense just, um, I mean, it starts every game just, they don't give up a lot of extra yardage. They don't, they don't, they're not trying to like ease into it. No, they're, they're playing like, uh, you know, pedal to the metal, 
you know, balls against the wall, whatever you want to say, like they're back against the wall. They've been playing that way since week one. And the one thing you don't get to see when you play that way is how do you respond to adversity? How do you respond when a team scores on you back to back? And and, and that's the thing that playoffs, it, it adversity always comes in the playoffs. There's some, um, no matter how great you are, there's some amount of adversity where you got to show that you have some grit. And I think that is the, if there is one weakness about the Ravens season, it's not that it's been easy, but they've been able to play so consistently with having leads and blowing people out and doing all this kind of stuff that it hasn't put them behind the eight ball many times to show um, who has that resolve and who has that grit. Yeah. I'm a big believer that the playoffs sort of like force you to like overcome what you're weak at. Like if you look at Cleveland, for example, Cleveland, their road defense was drastically different than at home. Well, you got to go on the road and now you got to beat a high flying offense. They gave up a bunch of points. I'm with you that I am going to be really curious. And I, I think people thought that's what San Francisco was going to do. It's been a while since we've seen a team that has the ability to kind of punch back against Baltimore. Like that's not what the Lions did. That's not what San Francisco did. That's not what Miami did. It's been a while since they've really been in a dog fight like that, which you know with Kansas City. This is not a game to me that's going to get out of hand on either side. The only team that I think can maybe get out of hand with this week is San Francisco kind of figures it out and they blow out the Lions. Other than that, I think it's going to be a close game on either way. I'd be surprised if Detroit ran away on the road against San Francisco. I'd be surprised if either team in the AFC Championship game ran away from the other. Oh, yeah. If you told me, I, I would believe you that if you told me both teams are going to be overtime games and one on a field goal, that, that basically was going to be the difference between both of these ball games. It's like, again, it's high level football at this point. And let me correct myself. It was weeks three against the Colts, they were down um, 10, to, 10 to 7. And then in week 14 against the Rams, they were down 20 to 17. That was the two three-point um, deficits going into halftime. And they won the Rams game, which is another interesting game to watch the dynamics of how they face a team that can go score for score with them. You know, when they, got, when they go against a team that has answers for their defense and can put up points with them, uh, man, you, you, the, the Ravens, they start doing things that are outside their nature. Let's put it like that. Um, and then that loss to the Colts early on in the season. Again, I think that was more just a – they were still trying to figure out who they were, find themselves. Uh, the interesting thing I see about the stats is once they got to the bye week in week 13, um, the first 12 weeks of the season, Lamar Jackson was the leading rusher on their team maybe three times. And then after the bye week was over, as down the stretch, three games in a row he was the leading passer and the leading rusher. He basically took the team on his back weeks 14, 15, and 16 to get them in a point – where they could take off weeks, you know, uh, that last game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, and that seemed to be, I mean, that's kind of that's kind of how the team is now. That's the team they want to be. They want Lamar is going to be explosive with the run. He's going to be explosive with the pass. They want to put you in that dilemma. Do you stop him, his legs or his arm? Um, if you ask me, the legs are just too electric. I, I, don't, I don't ever want to see him running the ball straight up the middle of the field. If he's going around the edge, I can deal with that because – um, I think I can get some clean hits on him on the sideline and stuff like that. I, I, I can get him as a as a ball runner a little bit easier, a little bit more. I, I may put some woolicks on him as he's going around the corner. But straight up the middle, man, he eats up yardage way too fast. Uh, so I would rather keep him in the pocket and watch him throw the ball um, and see if he can actually place the ball up and down over defenders and into zones and stuff. Like I'm not playing a bunch of man against him. I think the Lions are going to the Super Bowl. Do you? Uh, yeah, I had the Lions and the Chiefs. So I guess that tells you I think it's winning both ball games. 
Are you going to apologize to Rob, who no. told you about restoring the roar? Restore the roar. He, he, did, st- he did tell you. I that. mean, he should have stuck with that from 2022. Whenever it was, he started to <laughs> bite kneecaps. and. He, I, I will get Rob. Rob has been a believer of the lies. Restore the roar. That's my dude. What was that name we called him a week ago? It was like a name. He was called Mr. Something. Oh, I forgot. We got to go man. back and hear what it was. God. We got to go back. <laughs> was, was uh, we got to do this. I guess we'll do this next week, whether they win or lose. We'll recap the season or we'll start to get ready for the Super Bowl. Barbershop. It's not win or lose for me. So. My bad. When they win. I just was just throwing out that no. they, they possibly. No, that's when they win. They could win or lose. I mean, it's possible. When they win. My bad. When the Chiefs win, we look forward to having you on the show next week. And don't think I don't remi- remember. I got no introduction today. I got right to it today. No introduction today. No introduction today. You know what? Next week, I'll give you a great introduction, man. I'll be better at it. Thanks, Barbershop. Players only up next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com.